I got really excited when I bought a you know mechanical keyboard, and I'm really loving it. It's this weird um, Korean. I guess they call it a 60% keyboard, so it's got no function row, um, but it's super small and it's very clicky, and I really like it. And I thought, aha, now I can get rid of this other keyboard. And I realized I have to keep the other keyboard like within arm's reach because I can't what type of, what brand, and talk. What brand keyboard is it? It's a Leopold. Send me you a, get them on eBay. Really? You can't yeah. buy them direct? Are they like used or? No, they're all, they're all new. Um, That's just how they sell. Yeah, and they've got them in different. Um, they got them in different uh, like uh, mechanisms. There are a couple different mechanisms of you know like the the different key switches. Mm-hmm. Mine is a like a cherry blue, but um, I'll send you a link. I got them. I got it here. Mechanicalkeyboards.com. Yeah, yeah, and it's the FC six sixty M is the one that I've got, and I love it because it's so tiny, and it's it's really enjoyably uh, clicky. I got the Matthias. Um, small keyboard too, and it's not bad, but it's it's way bigger. Like the whole thing, it's got it's got another uh, row of keys, and it's got the only problem with this one is you got to map some of the keys because it's missing <laughs> it's missing a few keys. But the but the arrow keys are like properly oriented as arrows, and um and it's nice and clicky. And, and so then I started got, buying keycaps. So so you yeah. got Blue Cherry. What wait? What do you mean keycaps? Yeah. Do they does oh, this I've, company sell the official ones? Uh, no. So I, I ended up on eBay. There are a few places, including, um, I ended up with, uh, oh, what is it? The, the people that make the code keyboard. Um, they have, uh, they have a whole, uh, like they have like, like a keycap, uh, sh- shop where you can order custom keycaps. Cause the one I got came with like black keycaps and they were sort of windows keys. And I ended up spending probably way too much money on some like orange custom keycaps um which was kind of cool i blame josh uh topolsky he posted a couple of uh pictures of 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 this model keyboard that he's built and i i said "Mm, that's really interesting and that was then i was i was kind of ruined but but it's terrible for podcasting because the clicks the clicks are very loud (laughs) there's the one that this picture i'm looking at of this keyboard on the left side at the bottom bottom left corner there's a control key and then there's (laughs) There's like a keyboard key. It's a picture that has a... What is that? Yeah, I think that's the um, operating system key. So that's like your your uh, command key or your Windows key. Oh, it's like the Windows um, key. And, and they then, can't use and the then, Windows logo. And then I mapped... Yeah, I mapped it all to uh, to uh, Mac. So I actually flipped the keys around. So that's my option key. So what does Cherry Blue feel like? I, this is the thing that confuses me. And I, I have... I have a collection of Apple Extended 2s. And I'm using, right. I'm using my third one of my lifetime right now um including one i forget who sent me the one that was that's mint i still have one i have one that is literally like sealed mint in the in the box which i'm saving Mm. you know and the one that i'm using now was like truly near mint when i started using it um i've tried other mechanical keyboards but i've never found one that i really like and and it doesn't have the same feel and i get so confused by this the different switches and and it's it's very confusing to me. Honestly, when I, I uh, was shopping for this, I went to Matthias's website, and they have a uh, they have audio clips of a few different key uh, mechanical key switches that you can actually sort of listen to the sound of them being made, like just typing. And I listened to that for a while, and uh, and I thought that that 
the cherry blue sort of sounded like I want, like I kind of wanted it. And it's not all sound, right? It's, it's like, it's like taste. It's, it's, uh, eat, when you eat something, you, you're tasting it, but you're also smelling it. And those two things go together. Keyboards is like that. It's, it's the feel and it's the sound and they go together. Um, and uh, like I said, I ended up with the Matthias one, uh, which is supposed to be more like the Apple extended, um, I think. And then, and I got this one, which is the cherry blue and I like the cherry blue better I, I mean the matthias is fine i like it it's uh it's a little more um of what i'm what my at least my sense memory of those old apple keyboards was which is it's a little more kind of like clunk 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 mm. and this is a little more clicky like high high pitched clicky clicky click mm. click i gotcha um, yeah. i gotcha i say i think i don't like that so yours is yeah. maybe a little bit more like the ibm style I know I, that the I, IBM I buckling know. spring is different. The, the buckling spring ones yeah, are that, different. That like Rich Siegel uses uses that style, I believe, and he's like, "That's it, you know, it's sort of whatever mechanical keyboard you grew up with." I think is the one you end up gravitating toward. Um, I wish there was a place. I'm sure there is. I'm sure like keyboard people get together and have little key parties where they <laughs> where they type on the different mechanisms, and you can really get a sense of it. Um, but I'm just sort of slowly. Uh, slowly learning about about the different different ones, but I've been you know I've been happy with it. It's been I I, I didn't use a mechanical keyboard for a long time. I was just sort of using um, analogs of the of the MacBook keyboard yeah. because I I you know was using a MacBook as a primary system, so I kind of wanted my my keyboards to all match in feel as much as possible. But now that I'm sitting in an iMac for a lot of the day, I thought why don't I give it a try? And I've been pretty happy with it. It is. It's good that I'm working in a in a closed office with nobody in it because it would drive everybody else crazy if, yeah, I, if they could if, hear me typing. If if the chair if the blue cherry switches are what I think that they're like, I the more clicky than thunky. Then that's actually to me it's more that's maybe it's just my ears, but it's a it's louder or more prominent. Yeah, I I think it might I think it might be. Um, it depends on what frequencies you're tuned into. But I, but I do enjoy going back to the to, to having that tactile feedback as much as I um, loved uh, the MacBook keyboard style. I totally get now that I've been back on a mechanical keyboard for a while. I totally get why people criticize them for feeling mushy. I get what that means now. So there's blue cherry and brown cherry. Yeah, there's multiple different kind of cherry and red cherry, cherry. switches. Jimmy. Yeah, Christ. yeah, I know, and I have no idea. I am not. Uh, I'm not an expert. I just kind of took is, a shot in the dark and on it's one of them. Truly, where shopping on the internet is the worst like it's, this is yeah. the sort of thing where like in the old unless days, you want to buy 10 keyboards <laughs> i know and yeah. i and i hate sending stuff back I, it's just like and it's irrational it makes no logical sense whatsoever that i would rather just have a 110 dollar keyboard that i'd put in a closet and never use but i just hate sending stuff back i don't i just yeah. don't like it but i guess i just sent a keyboard back and I didn't love it, but I it, it was I tried that uh, mechanical keyboard for the iPad, the Razer, um, and it just wasn't that good. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I did go through the rigmarole of sending that back because that was a pretty pricey thing. But I hate doing it too, and so you end up uh, a lot of times not buying things because it's just like it's too complicated. I don't know what to pick, and so I'll just kind of give it up. But I took a shot in the dark w- with this one, and I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Is it the best keyboard for me? Maybe not. There may be some other one out there that's totally, you know, one I would prefer to this. But uh, I, I haven't gone and 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 bought five different keyboards yet. Anyway, I, I have also I have bought um, some. I think at least two keyboards from Matthias over the years, and specifically billed by Matthias as being for aficionados of the Apple Extended Keyboard too. And I have to say that I didn't even think it was close. 
it, it I, for whatever reason, the Matthias ones don't appeal to me. I'm so picky about these keyboards that I don't even like some Apple extended keyboard twos, even ones that are seemingly in good condition. That that there's mm. variance between them that I I detect that it's some of them. Right. I, I, it's like a. Like the one that I had from college, and I think I've told this story before. I loved this keyboard. I should see. I, I, I somebody once said that they could fix it. Somebody who knows how to solder could probably fix it. It's the E key that broke, which is probably because it's the one I type the most. Right? It makes sense. Sure. Um, my sophomore year of college, I was playing uh, John Madden football in the dorms, and there was. Uh, Let's see. It was, so it would have been like Madden '92, and I was uh, always the Houston Oilers with uh, who was the great quarterback that the Houston Oilers? Warren had. Moon. Yes, Warren Moon. Warren Moon with a cannon of an arm. I mean, like it was like on a ski. Like the the stats were like up to fifteen. It was like fifteen distance, 15, 15 arm strength, fifteen accuracy. And uh, this other kid, I think his name was Jeff, who always played with the Philadelphia Eagles, the Buddy Ryan Eagles. Uh, so it was me with my pass happy. Uh, long bombs and him with these like bone crushing uh, defensive guys. And we had a great rivalry. And one time we bet, I think I bet uh, 50 bucks cash up against his Apple extended keyboard too, because I had a Mac LC, which came with the real shit keyboard. I don't even know what it was small and mushy. And yeah. he got the Mac SE 30, which came with the uh, extended keyboard too. So the deal was it was winner takes all, one game of Madden football, where if I won, I got his keyboard and I'd give him my crappy one so he'd you know, have a keyboard. And I think, I think I put up 50 bucks cash, which I knew was a good deal because they sold for like $180 to get one new. Uh, and I won the game and that's where I got my keyboard. And it was mm. the best one I've ever used. I still feel like it. I still take it out of the closet sometimes and type on it, and I still feel like you know this. Other than that E key that's busted, it still feels better. I should the, find somebody who can just fix that E key for me. You should, and there may be a keyboard out there that that is a closer match for what you're looking for than the Matthias. I don't know. Yeah, W it's W A S D keyboards is where I got my keycaps, and they sell. I think they make the code keyboard, and they sell. Mm. Um, they sell mechanical keyboards, and it's like literally choose your size and choose which switch type. But again, you know, you can't reach through the screen and feel how the the keys they have audio files i think and like i said matthias does too but it's not quite the same because that's only one the sound is part of it and the, the feeling is part of it um the only the only reason i don't go i never do like a real deep dive and try to find a new keyboard is it once i try it and i do have a couple and i've spent probably i don't know <laughs> a couple hundred bucks on keyboards out sure. of curiosity and then I think to myself, why am I doing this? I the Apple my Apple extended keyboard too is the best keyboard I've ever had, and it works perfectly on my. Well, if it works, that's the thing. So that, I've got. I don't know why extended, I do it. I don't know why I. I don't know why. I've got an extended here in my in my office, and I've got a couple of the USB ADB converters, and I don't know whether it's that the keyboard is bad, um, or whether it's the converter is bad, but I have a problem where. Uh, I or is it that I type too fast? Because I, I I find that it 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 drops. Key, it drops characters. As maybe, I'm, as I'm maybe typing. with your extraordinary typing skills. Maybe I've every once in a while I've I've noticed some weird things. There was a thing I got panicked uh, where there was one key like a couple months ago. I think it was like T, and every it was like and it was like an insidious typo where it would I, I would be just be typing and every time like maybe once out of every hundred times I typed a T, I'd get like three T's. Mm. Oh yeah, I've seen that. That's it. I've seen that. 
and it's it, 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 I it's, it's something to, you know combined with like my slightly worse vision and and it's just like a couple of t's together like in the word little it's like an extra three t's it's like it would just slip through uh, you know right uh and i got real panicked because i thought this is definitely like it's not me holding the key down too far and it was always like the letter t so i knew it must be like electrical but then it just went away solved itself fixed itself yeah yeah that's my concern and and i've seen it is that is that you're going to end up um you're going to end up with a with a problem with the hardware or with the. I mean, presumably there are still thousands of USB uh, ADB adapters out there that are sitting, for, I you know, that guess. you can get on eBay or yeah. something. But but that's my fear is that something's going to break down either the keyboards or the or the adapters or something in the system that changes and that you're gonna then you're gonna need to find. Uh, a replacement. It's great. I mean, honestly, how great is it that you're using these keyboards that are <laughs> 25 years old, and 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 they're huge too. That's the other thing is I like the I like the smaller keyboard because I like to have my um my uh my like trackpad as close to the the keys as possible. So I don't like have a number pad or anything like that. So I always preferred, and I think it goes back to having an SE. I had the SE, which had the smaller keyboard. It was still clicky, but it wasn't the full extended. It was like the little mini one with the power, like the horizontal power button at the top. And I think that sort of set me down, set me down that path. But, you know, I I don't know. I think you may have to go on a quest one day, um, but as long as it's working for you, That's the that's it's kind of brilliant that you've got you know that old tech still. I'm still on the first my first ever Griffin ADB. It was called the iMate, and it's yep. <laughs> it was. I got two of those here. It's it's Bondy Blue, Bondy Blue, whatever that whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Back well, when, they you know they had the plastic. Everybody right. was making blue plastic things in 1997. But it's funny because the only thing you'd ever want it. It's like it's funny that they made the adapter in the trendy 2001. Apple, you know, clear plastic colors. When the only thing you could possibly want to plug into it was going to be the classic beige. beige. Everything was yeah. beige. <laughs> yeah. But how do you, how do you add coolness to an ADB adapter? Yeah. The do answer you, is clear plastic. Do you remember the Apple Extended Keyboard One, the original? It was it was very similar to the Extended Keyboard Two, but it was short lived. I'm not sure why it didn't go up and down. It was like at a, it was so it was a little bit bigger, I think, even than oh. the Extended Keyboard Two. And it had a definite different feel to the keys. It was more, I would say, more clacky. It was louder and a little bit more clacky. My all my uh, early Apple keyboard experiences were in my college newspaper, so that would have been like ninety nineteen ninety yeah. era, and and so it really would have been like what keyboards did we have there? Because we had a yeah. keyboard attached to a two CX, and we had a bunch of keyboards on the uh, the SEs that we used, and then later we got a two FX. Um, and so that's I. I'll we bet, had some that I'll, had the extended. The two FX would have come with the extended keyboard too. But I'll bet that yeah. I bet that you're. I bet you if you saw one, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I remember that." It was like yeah. just slightly different. Probably. Uh, you know what other keyboard I loved? I loved the uh, the keyboard that came with the uh, Apple II GS. Do you remember that keyboard? I never had one. I had I had a friend who had a two GS, so I vaguely remember it, but not that well. If you if, let's see, if, but if it was ADB. That was the G two GS had a, had ADB. That was the other computer that wasn't a Mac that had the the ADB plug on it. Was the two GS? Yeah, that that's actually a lot like that uh, that early uh, the SE keyboard that I had, where it's yeah. got that big the wide power button at the very top. Yep. Yeah. Well, you had to restart those machines a lot. A lot. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's uh, it a. Very- I, I don't know. 
It was very easy to write your own program that completely wedged the machine. Uh-huh. Oh, man. It was a good keyboard. And it had, like, the weirdest keycaps I've ever seen where they were sort of like... Uh, it's you just. I'll put a picture in the show notes. I swear to God. Yeah. But if it's just the weirdest keycaps where they weren't really. They were like squares, but then on top of the squares were like like round rects. Yeah. Right. It's like two tier uh, keycaps. I love keyboards. You know what? I'll tell you what. I was thinking about this too when when you were going to be on the show. Uh, I wasn't thinking about keyboards. But I was just thinking, I know you're a baseball fan, and sometimes when a baseball fan is on, I will try to have a conversation that will be of, of interest to even all of the – stop, don't skip, don't skip. Yeah. <laughs> even to all of you who don't like baseball. Just sort of, for me, a sort of melancholy week with Alex Rodriguez uh, getting dumped from the Yankees. Uh, as we record on Thursday, he'll be playing tonight in Boston, and then tomorrow night he's playing in New York, and then that, then that's it. He's going home. That's it. Um. And combined, it just is interesting to me that, you know, he's 41 years old. He's had a very contentious, really <laughs> up and down career with uh, his his controversies over the performance-enhancing drugs. Um, and the same week, uh, Ichiro Suzuki, uh, who's now playing for the Florida Marlins, got his 3,000th hit in Major League Baseball. And Ichiro is, to me... A guy who, if if you could just like show, put some video clips together and and talk about it, he's a player that would be of interest even to non sports fans because he's he's yeah. he's like he's seriously is like a like an alien. He, he's he's <laughs> like he, he you know he's he he's like a creature who was just born to play baseball, but he doesn't play like anybody else. Well, it's like the um, what was it uh, the back in the nineteenth century there was a player named Wee Willie Keeler. And I believe he was the one who who famously said, "I, I hit them where they ain't." Yeah. And the idea is that, like, they're like, "How are you such a great hitter?" And he says, "Well, I hit the ball where the other where the fielders aren't, and that's it. Like, it, it's so simple." And yet, when you look at Ichiro, and I think Tony Gwynn was kind of like yep. this too. It, 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 there, in in a century of baseball players, you get a couple of people who's like, somehow this guy can use that stick to put that ball that's coming at him at 100 miles an hour wherever he wants it. And that's just unbelievable. I read a, I was just read a story the other day. It was actually in response to somehow like from one link to another in a Twitter conversation with somebody, you know, discussion that was started with Ichiro and it led to Tony Gwynn. Um, and just talking about like the best hitters of the last 20 years, like best hitters of, of like you're in my adult life and there's the power guys like i think a number one i think bonds is the best hitter we've ever seen and i don't yeah. i can't I, I don't really cotton to any discussion otherwise um but yeah, take the steroids out of right, it and he probably right. still is yeah well maybe but even with i mean the numbers are there and they're just astounding i mean the yeah. one the the one year he had 200 and some intentional walks so in, in a game where you have 162 games he he drew over an, one intentional walk a game. It's no, oh, yeah. There's never been anything like that. He, I watched it, every one of those games, too. I uh, mean, it was a daily occurrence. They walked him with the bases loaded one time. <laughs> That's a true story. True story. <laughs> Rather than let Barry Bonds hit with the bases loaded, a team actually chose to walk him on purpose and give yeah. up a run. And they won the game because of it. So, uh, you know, good call. So Alex Rodriguez, right now, as it stands, has 696 home runs, career home runs, fourth of all time. Uh, truly a great home run hitter. I mean, fourth of all time in the history of the uh, yeah. hundred and some history of the game. Bonds had more intentional walks in that one season than Alex Rodriguez has had in a twenty-year career. <laughs> a twenty-year career. Yep. Uh, uh, it's uh, anyway. Bonds is great. 
Gwynn was amazing. And I read this story. My favorite player ever. So, he, is, he is absolutely my favorite baseball player ever. Tony Gwynn used to call it the 5.5 hole. Meaning mm-hmm. it was between uh, the, there's numbers for the players. So in between the shortstop who's six and the third baseman who's five on the scorecard, uh, he'd just try to hit the ball between shortstop and third base and <laughs> could do it with remarkable accuracy. But the thing I read was like, like when he started slowing down a little bit, his average dropped, and for him dropping meant he got close to three hundred. Uh, and the difference was that he wasn't beating out the ones that the shortstop would backhand anymore. And right. he had a conversation with Ted Williams, and Ted Williams uh, told him to start. He said, "You got to, you need to pull the ball more." <laughs> and, and just that one conversation with Ted Williams, and all of a sudden, Gwyn purposely started trying to pull the ball a little more, and, his, and that was when he that was uh, led to the seasons where he was hitting like three fifty, three sixty. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so simple, right? Right. Just like just hit it the other to the other part of the field. They're like, "All right, I'll do that then," because like Ichiro, Gwyn could uh, seemingly put the ball wherever he wanted it. Right. So Ichiro, it, yeah, there's Ichiro. two things about Ichiro. Number one. You have to watch him. If you don't, if you, even if you don't like baseball, just go to YouTube and Google Ichiro hitting. He starts running before he hits the ball. Yeah. He, he's a left-handed batter, and when he sees the ball, he his batting stance is such that he's running to first base bef- as he makes contact with the ball, which nobody has ever done. Nobody would ever teach. If you you know saw a little kid doing it, and you're coaching little league, you'd immediately say, "No, no, no, <laughs> you can't do that. You're never going to hit the ball." The other thing is that he treats his bats as though they're samurai swords. And this is where I'm going with the keyboard, where it's mm. he he comes in and spends like an hour a day like examining his bats with like from like with his eyes like an inch away and rubs over every surface of them. He carries them he, he has a collection of them that he carries in like a, a custom made like a, what do you call it like a humidor? What do you put cigars in? It's like yeah, a humidor. Yeah, it's it's a moisture proof carrying case that he carries himself by hand and doesn't hand over to like the team equipment people. Uh and and when you know this and you realize this about him and then you watch him on TV, you realize that his bats are all in like mint condition. <laughs> like most of the bats are all gunked up with pine tar and and nicked and have marks from where they hit balls in batting practice. Each of those bats all look like they are in mint condition. Yeah, they're they're his uh, professional tool, and he treats them as such. And when you see him use them, you can see it's like an extension of his body. It's he is it's surgical precision with what he does with them. The other thing I read about Ichiro is that every year, or I think it's every year, but at, at least several times, he has visited the Hall of Fame in uh, Cooperstown in the off season, and uh, you know orchestrates a behind the scenes you know tour and he takes out the bats he gets some of the bat he has like a list of hitters whose bats he wants to examine and (laughs) and he you know i saw pictures of it and he's got the white gloves on you know because these are like historic artifacts and he studies the bats of great hitters and and weighs them and and like examines them in fine detail it's it's just amazing and that to me that to me is like what justifies me caring so much about my keyboard yeah, I think it's your it's your professional tool, right? It's right. how you it's how you make your living, and that's the bottom line. And so writers do writers talk about things like uh, like keyboards and and you know notebooks and right. pens and things like that. Yeah, they do, but but you have to understand it is it is actually uh, a professional tool. It's like how how our livelihood happens. Yep, it's worth it. All right, let me take a break from all this great 
keyboard and baseball discussion. <laughs> I was trying to keep us off of baseball by talking about keyboards. No, we did it both. Uh, and tell you about our first sponsor. This is a great company. It's Global Delight. Now, we all use headphones, and we're going to talk a little bit more later in the show about headphones, uh, to listen to music on our iPhones and iPads. But no matter which headphones we use, the audio often feels like it lacks depth. Global Delight, they're the company behind the Mac app, Boom. That uh, It's like an audio enhancer for Mac. It's a great app, actually. And it was the, uh, actually, if it rings a bell, it's, they were uh, sponsored on this show a couple weeks ago. Um, so these are the same guys behind the Mac app, Boom. They have an iOS app that solves this issue. It's called Boom for iOS. Now, iOS, you can't have like a system-wide extension that enhances audio across the board. It doesn't work like that on iOS. So Boom on iOS is a music player app. And when, no matter which headphones you use, it turns the music you listen to into an amazing 3D surround sound. It, it's, it's an amplifier, uh, uh, you know, like a sound filter music player. doesn't stop there. You can change the equalizers. You can adjust the bass and the intensity of the audio with fine control. You can be real picky. This is for people who really care about what this stuff sounds like in your headphones. Uh, Boom plays it's magic with the downloaded music from your iTunes library. So it's not like you have to like, you know, do any kind of magic stuff or, or a pain in the butt stuff to, uh, to import your music into it. it. Just plays the system stuff, the system stuff in your iTunes library. And it's very, very simple to use. Uh, here's in the best part. It's free. It's a free download. So if you don't, you're skeptical, you don't know what it's going to sound like, go download it, get it from the app store, try it out. Uh, and then it's an in-app purchase to unlock everything if you if you like the way it sounds. So open your browser. Uh, if you want to see their website, it's boom4ios.com. So just spell boom, then F-O-R-I-O-S.com. And you'll be taken to the Boom app directly, and then you can hit the download button. All you need to do is then just buy the in-app purchase if you like it, and uh, and you'll enjoy it. It's a great app. These guys do a great job. Even though their specialty is obviously audio, they do a phenomenal job with the user interface stuff. Their stuff looks exquisite. Always very, very, very impressive UI design. Um, and here's the best part. They've got a special offer for talk show listeners. They've got a sale running through the 21st of August. Uh, I think it's uh, normally four ninety nine for the in app purchase. Yes, four ninety nine. Right now, you'll buy it right now before August twenty first. You get it for a buck ninety nine. So that's two bucks, and you get this great app. So go download Boom for iOS and try it out, and buy it before August twenty first, and you'll save save a couple bucks. Uh, <laughs> we had, there is a lot of news. I don't. We probably yeah. it was probably pretty stupid to waste. <laughs> so much time on keyboards but i i do love them you do chapter markers in your podcast that'll solve everything uh, stick a chapter marker i don't yeah you know i should mention this that i it, you know i i because atp does it and you guys do too do you guys do yeah, chapters yeah, so here and there yeah, um, not, on, not on everyone but on some of them yeah uh so for everybody who wants them on this show we are looking into it <laughs> it's it's right. there's a tooling issue where it's actually there is no good tool for this yet uh yeah a uh, friend of the show, Marco Arman, is actually working on such a tool, uh, so I'm aware of that. And, yep. and there will be chapters on this show uh, eventually. All right. Uh, so the news, what do you want to talk about first? I guess we should oh talk God. German stuff. Yeah, I mean, so Mark Gurman, right, he's, he's, he's back. He's at Bloomberg. We saw he, he had a report like uh, a month ago, but he, he dropped – a few reports this week that that are you know his sources are so good, um, especially in the hardware side that 
that the, it feels like confirmation to me, and I know it's not. It's just an it's another story with anonymous sources saying this is what Apple's going to do. But it feels like confirmation now that Gurman has said, you know, given the nod and been like, yeah, this is what's going to happen with the with the iPhone and with the with the the new MacBook Pro. Yeah, it's too. like having a four run lead in the bottom of the ninth. You're yeah, probably going to pro- win. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I feel like, and, and it's funny because now that he's at Bloomberg, um, you know, Bloomberg. I, I know some people who have who have worked or, or do work at Bloomberg, and Bloomberg is a very, um, they're a little idiosyncratic in what they do in terms of like their style guide and their 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 uh, copy desk and things like that. But they're sticklers, and yeah. you can see it in in German's reports that some of the phrasing is kind of different than yeah. maybe he did at nine to five Mac, where they probably just you know made sure that. It, you know, I don't. I don't want to impugn nine to five Mac, but you know, most online stuff, including stuff I do, you give it a read and then you put it up. You don't have a copy desk with who are sticklers, and uh, and so it it's sort of uh, been interesting to see how how they they change some of his phrases or they make make it very specific about like what he knows and what he doesn't know and what the details are. Um, but, at, and so it at, ends up being at nine a to little five, bit fuzzier. At 9 to 5 Mac, I would say it was always, you know, mentioned. And he never – he always wrote in a sort of reportery fashion, even at 9 to 5 Mac. Sure. Um, not as opposed to like a columnist style. Yeah, totally. Like Joanna Stern and I were talking about that on the last episode of this show that I, I, I could do it, I guess. But it would feel, it would feel like, like drudgery to me. I, I've always wanted to be a columnist and write mm-hmm. in my own voice. So – German always wrote in a reporter's voice, but he would just the biggest difference I would say is that when he had a scoop, he would put the according to you know sources familiar with it once in the first paragraph, and then the rest of the story would be here's what I've found out. Whereas right. the bigger the biggest stylistic difference with Bloomberg with him at Bloomberg is that the according to the people, uh, <laughs> that's right. And the it, people. It, there's an awful lot. It, it just keeps coming back and back that it, this is according to the peop, what people have told him. And I personally, I, we, you and I were engaged in a thread on Twitter about this. I actually like this better. I, I really do. And, and maybe it's a little inside baseball, you know, like that you and I think about these, the copy desks and stuff like that. But I like it that it emphasizes that this is not a known fact and that German isn't saying that he's seen this thing himself, which would, uh, you know, alleviate the need to source it. It's from sources who said that they know this. And I think that's worth emphasizing. Yeah. And, and, and them, you know, being sticklers, that's what they want to do is say, we've got information, but we haven't confirmed it ourselves. It's from a source that we trust. And so we're going to say it's an anonymous source. And then throughout the story, every time we cite something, we're, if we can't say it as a fact, because we saw it with our own eyes, essentially, we have to say, we have to attribute that to whoever got it. And so as a result, you, you get the uh, things about that, you know, there won't be a headphone jack, the source has said. Right. Or people, they, I think they said people, the people said. Right, but that's interesting but, too, yeah. because it's, it, it's a way of corroborating that, that that piece of information came from multiple sources. Exactly. And that's good. That's clarity, right? And right. I, it may feel weird to read it that way because there, it's definitely being done with, with great care. But as a user of that information, it's really good to have clarity about what, you know, what Mark Gurman is being told by his sources and what he maybe is extrapolating from that. 
And I, I like I like having that because then then we we can leave it to our judgment. But it also eliminates right. the, just the confusion of like, what's he really saying here? Is he is, does he know that or is he supposing that? And and the way it's the Bloomberg process seems to have taken his stuff is it's a little bit clearer about the stuff that he he has been told by his sources, like sort of laying it out. Like this is what we know from from sources. The other thing that you and I know, and and I I I think it's probably true. For you, you too. I definitely think so. I think that the whole reason that you and I have eked out, um, you know, these positions we have is that we attract. We don't attract the most readers, but we attract discerning readers, right? Like, I there's no way that the readership of your stuff and my stuff combined yeah. amounts to a hill of beans from the Huffington Post perspective, right? If we're counting page views, we're you know little fish. Yeah, but absolutely. we attract discerning readers, and so a lot of times. Um, when I go off on a track like this about just how meaningful it is when a, a Bloomberg or a Wall Street Journal says, you know, prints out a rumor, sometimes I get a lot of pushback from readers who are s- skeptical readers, which is good. And I'm not surprised that I have readers who are like, hey, I, you know, I don't believe it just because it's in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and that's true. And I, I think everybody should read all of everything they read, my stuff, your stuff, and especially news reports with a, you know, skeptical mind. Like, where did this information come from? I think being a critical reader of journalism is is an essential skill. It should be taught, emphasized in schools, I think, in a way that it wasn't for me. Um, so I'm not saying it's true, but you do, you know, inside baseball, it's like, you know that, like, a publication like Bloomberg or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times knows that when something like this gets reported, what almost everybody else says is Bloomberg says the yeah. big iPhone is going to have two cameras. And they don't go into that. Nobody else reports that it's Mark German who says this one reporter. Like if it doesn't turn out to be true, it's it's mostly on Bloomberg. Yeah, and Bloomberg is a huge company with financial information. I mean, reporting about one of the largest, if not the largest public company in the world, um, getting information wrong about their biggest product right. <laughs> that right. that's that would be colossal right and right. so not they want to they want to be careful with it but it also says something that you know when he reports this stuff they are standing behind it right. and 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 as observers of what german has done over the years um i i we can see why because right. his sources are his sources are good he always has been careful um i think he's actually a great fit for bloomberg because of all of those yeah. things he's not a super speculative guy he's somebody with good sources Sources who lays out what his sources say. It is funny. It's funny to me. I heard I I found out that he was going to Bloomberg back in March, where whenever it was that Apple held an event in California. What was that March? I think it was March, like yeah, mid mid March. Uh, and it wasn't. Uh, it seemed like it wasn't like an open secret, but there were a couple of other people in the the you know cover Apple press game who knew uh, that he was going to go to Bloomberg. Uh, and it was funny to me that it never it never actually was published. <laughs> like the guy who's the guy who's who's known for spoiling Apple's secrets, his own secret. Everybody was just like it just seemed like uncouth because it it seemed like you know, everybody seemed to not want to publish it or tweet it or anything just because it just seemed like well let's you know let's not bother the kid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I it think was like a courtesy. Was- Kind of happy for him too because he yeah. does good work. He, he yeah. he's he's really young. He was in college. He, you know he 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 has done some incredible things and yeah. um and now he's got a, a really high profile job at a major 
uh, source of news and business information. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we kind of didn't want to wreck it for him. He's yeah. he he's, he does good work. It's a re- I think it's a really good fit because Bloomberg, in particular, in my opinion, really emphasizes scoops. They they really pride themselves on on breaking things like this, um, being first, while simultaneously being completely accurate. Right, yeah. as opposed to, you know, they won't cross that line of being first by taking a chance that it's not true, but they really want to be first. And well, it's a feather in their cap as a, as a provider of of business intelligence, because I mean, the, the number one way Bloomberg makes money, as far as I can tell, um, and what I've heard is it's like the terminal. They they yep. have these terminals. They're in. Uh, the offices of people in the financial sector, they are uh, giving real-time business information and news. And from when you view Bloomberg through that lens, where they're not like a wire, a wire service or something, right. they are a financial information provider, and news is one of the things that they do. When you think of them that way, um, it sort of it sort of makes sense. Yeah, like, and that's yeah, where the w- culture. Now. That's exactly where the culture of being first and having the scoop comes from. Is the yeah. culture from the terminals. Because you uh, want to get ahead as an investor, you want that extra edge. Right. Um, I, re- I worked at uh, a firm on the Philadelphia Stock Exchange when I was in college. I had a, an internship doing like IT stuff. I wasn't doing investing stuff. I was you know on the computer team. Um, but they had the you know the traders had the Bloomberg boxes, of course. So I got to see them. Interesting, fascinating devices for the mid mid nineties. Yeah, and well, the funny thing, and there, there's a um. And they were just, fast. That's the one thing. Is like, that, well, that's that's the whole that's the whole story. There's a story somewhere. I'm trying to find it. That um, the the problem with the Bloomberg terminal is so it, it is they call it the terminal. It looks like a DOS mm-hmm. interface. It's got these weird keyboard shortcuts. It's like something like WordStar or something. It's that kind of thing, right? It's yep. a strange, strange thing. But um, the thing is, the people who know how to use the Bloomberg terminal, they they can do everything fast with a yep. couple of keystrokes. It's this incredible thing. So it's a huge UX problem because it's impenetrable on one level, but once you know it, you can have complete control over it and they're loath to change it because they're they're uh uh, their loyal loyal customers yep. want want to know how to use it, so it's the, they they end up in this weird place, which is like, can we improve this product, or do we need to leave it looking like a DOS terminal forever? Well, and there's never a day for a tr- for the traders. There's never like a slow day, you know. So there's never a day where, well, all right, we'll you know we'll install this new version that I don't know how to use, and I'll be lost all day, you know, trying to figure out how. To, no, yeah, it's, they can't can't ever do it. Right. right, so it's better better to just let your your interns and your new hires read the manual and learn how to do it and get up to right. speed and just leave it the way it is. Um, and it's yeah, it's fascinating. But they and they that's the whole thing. They're they're not afraid. Knowing people who've worked at Bloomberg, they are not afraid to be um, different from the crowd. Yep. Like they they have different terminology for stuff. They don't call the laptops that their journalists get aren't called laptops. They're, no. called like tra- they're called like travel units or travelers <laughs> or something. Like it's just they, they've got their own terminology. They've got their own rules. It goes down. It's just it's uh, they are they are different. And I think that maybe comes from Mike Bloomberg that, you know, he was, uh, you know, he's a maverick. Yeah. He, he's not afraid to to say, let's do things kind of differently. And it also comes from the fact that they are a, not a traditional, uh, you know, ad funded journalism outfit. They're this they're a financial services outfit. Yeah. Um, so. uh German's two articles, recent articles. Uh, first was the one about the new iPhones. Um, yeah. So it seemingly confirmed that, it definitely said that the 
the plus size one will have the two the two camera system, right? And seem to confirm that the four point seven one won't, but doesn't quite say that. And this is one of those things where the the sourcing is kind of interesting. Here's the, I'm going to read the paragraph. The dual dual system sharpens photos taken in low light environments. The person said. The combination of the merged photos from the two camera sensors also allows users to zoom while retaining more clarity, the person added. The smaller version of the new phones will not include dual lenses, KGI securities analyst Ming-Chi Kuo said earlier this year. Now, that to, that last bit is fascinating to me because seemingly German's own sources didn't, didn't or couldn't say whether the smaller phone has the two cameras. He's only referring to a report from Ming-Chi Kuo. It may be or may not, because later they talk about the headphone jack uh, being removed, and they they reference um, Mako Takara as yeah. being the original report. So I, I'm not, I couldn't read this and say whether they're, uh, you know, whether he doesn't actually know that for sure, because it sounds like he actually just said that it's not. I think it's more that he may be doing in a Bloombergian kind of way the hat tip yeah. of of who originally reported this because he didn't originally report yeah, it. Yeah, I think was, that's Ming Quo. I think no, the Mako Takara. But oh, and, and well, for Mako Takara, it's for sure that way. But I, that, I wonder if maybe the the Ming Chi Quo a- right. attribution is is that which is just look, you know, this person got it first. We should tip our cap to them. Uh, Confirms no headphones and the yeah. other, you know, none of this is new. There's not one bit of it that is new, but it's confirmation of a whole bunch of these rumors that are floating about. The other thing is right. that the home button now won't physically click. It will uh, be tapped. <laughs> force, yeah, force, touch, force touch. Like the button. like the trackpads, like, you know, the modern Mac mm-hmm. MacBook trackpads, um, which is interesting. And I think, I wonder, you know, there's often a lot of... German's story doesn't mention waterproofing at all, but one of the things that has been floated about is that whether Apple will bill it as waterproof or not, that the one of the design the features of these new iPhones is that they will be even further water-resistant than previous ones. Right. Um, and I can only imagine that a force-touch home button would help in some way in terms of waterproofing simply because it seems like every button that actually moves is a is a place where moisture could get through. Yeah, and it's also going to reduce um, repair incidences because, you know, even if it's not that common, um, home buttons malfunction because, I mean, it's a moving part. It has to go up and down. Yeah. And so you take that out of the equation and it's not actually moving anymore. You just feel like it's moving when you when you press on it. Um, I can see, assuming they do it right, although, you know, the 3D touch and the force touch and the trackpad is, uh, they did a good job with that. So assuming they do it right so that you really do get that that uh, that sense of, of action because it would be the worst thing in the world if you're like why is my phone locked up and you try to press the home button and nothing happens you're like yeah what do I do now so they got to get it right but there are a lot of benefits to um, you know simplifying the shape of the product basically I, it's one of those things that might be like keyboards where it some people might really like it and others might not because it will feel different and I love the new trackpads I, I I think you I don't know maybe you do too I have a, a re- yeah I do I have a review unit of MacBook Pro that Apple gave me to test um, what's the new operator? Sierra. Sierra. Yeah, I've got one right behind me. Yeah. Right. And so my personal MacBook Pro has is older. It's, it's you know, I forget. I think it might be two years old at this point or close to two years old. Doesn't have it. I love it. It's a 13-inch MacBook Pro. It's probably now my favorite MacBook that I've ever owned. I really, I, the more I use it, I really appreciate how good it is. Um, 
the one thing I really like better about the review unit one is that trackpad. I really like the Force Touch trackpad. And I think the main reason why is that I tend to click a lot at the top of the trackpad. Oh, yeah. And the mechanic, the, the lever that is the moving trackpad, it, the, the fulcrum is at the top. So it's actually a lot easier to click towards the bottom than it is at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that on the Force Touch one, it's just as clicky everywhere on the whole thing. I know other people don't like it, though. I think Marco Armand does not like the Force Touch trackpad, so maybe the home buttons will be the same way. Yeah, it could be. The, yeah, Marco doesn't like it. I do like it. I actually use the, the desktop uh, Magic Trackpad. Yes, yeah. Too, and, yep. I, and I, I really like it. Um, Amazon did this with the um, Kindle, which one was it? Voyage, I think. They put, like, uh, it's now with page turn buttons, which they had taken off of an earlier yeah. model, but it wasn't really a button. It was this haptic thing where you squeezed this thing on the side, and it gave a little vibration, and it, I, it, didn't, it didn't work there, although that was kind of cheaply done, and I expect Apple to do a better job than that. Um, but they ended up with their the Oasis that they have now. It's just back to being a physical button because that yeah. was just a better experience. Um, so it can be done badly, but um, I would imagine, given the Force Touch trackpad, that and, and I think that's why the reference is being made to it is that whoever described this to Mark Gurman is like, no, no, it's going to be like the Force Touch trackpad. You're not yeah. going to even be able to believe that it doesn't move. Yeah. Which that that sounds good to me. Yeah, it's f- funny to me because I thought one of my complaints for years with iPhones was that the home buttons were not good enough, and maybe I just got mm-hmm. bad phones. I don't know, but like in the 3G, 3GS. And maybe even like the iPhone 4 era, like there was like a certain squishiness to it that I didn't like year after year. And I I think I even wrote about it on Daring Fireball that on a device where there's really just one main button, that button should feel (laughs) really good. Yeah. Like if you're going to minimize buttons, the buttons that you have left have to be really good because they're really going to stand out. And it's the sort of thing that Apple should pride itself on doing well. And I think that they've now they've gotten it great. Like the, the clickiness of. Um, the the Touch ID era home buttons to me is terrific. To me, it feels like one of the best buttons in the world. Yeah, it's good. Um, there there are I mean there are lots of speculations about how Apple. I mean, because it's Apple, right? Apple wants to eventually have no buttons and no ports because that's sort of the platonic ideal of a device and as thin as possible. Um, that they would get rid of the home button entirely at some point, or at least the physical home button, even if there's a way to do the, do a gesture. Right. And this seems like a, a step in that direction, which is, okay, now we've got it so that we can read your fingerprint and you can press on it in order to get what where you want to go, but there's actually nothing moving. Uh, and that's like step one. And maybe step two is that they put, you know, they put that on, uh, uh, you know, the bottom center of the screen or something, and it's it's seeking that out. Whatever a future iPhone design might be, I don't know, but that it does seem like it's 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 a very Apple step to make to yeah. elim- eliminate a moving part. Uh, and so, I, I, what are we left with the focus on here? The the fact that the four point seven inch phone apparently won't have dual cameras, and it's yeah. you know the rumor chain has has been pretty consistent on that regard mm-hmm. especially if you believe the supply chain links of the backs of these phones there's never been one a credible one that showed two cameras the two camera oval on the four and 4.7 inch iphone and there's usually one on the 5.5 inch um i'm a little bummed about that because i prefer the 4.7 by far in terms of hand feel and in fact as you know anybody read my my iphone se review if anything i have mixed feelings about the 4.7 inch versus the the iphone se size four inch phone 
Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this, and I think it's probably not true. I think 4.7 is probably the mainstream phone and will remain so. But I did have that moment where I thought, with the iPhone SE doing, I think, way better, Apple even admitted, way better than Apple expected. And now we're talking about differentiating the iPhone Plus at the high end with a much better camera, which in some ways is taking advantage of the fact that it's just got more room. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's more expensive, so they can pack stuff in there. Um, I do have those moments where I think, why would you get the 4.7-inch iPhone? Like, if you really care about photography, get the big iPhone. Uh, if you're somebody who uses your phone all the time and wants the biggest screen possible, get the big iPhone. And if you if you care about size, and that's your, your priority, or if you care about price, the iPhone SE is right there. Um, and it's just, again, it's probably not realistic, but I, I feel like it's interesting that Apple is making the edge phones kind of really appealing in the, almost like the the simplicity of the one and the, yeah. the power and complexity of the other. And then what's the 4.7 inch iPhone? Well, it's just your average iPhone, I guess, Yeah, in the middle. Um, there are other rumors that there will be three iPhones, new iPhones. <laughs> have you seen, have you seen this? That yeah, it will be a the four- pro and the plus. Yeah. So it would be like, I forget. I don't think they're going to call it iPhone seven, but maybe they will, but let's just say that they do. Cause uh, and, otherwise, and, and, and let's note Mark Gurman's story at no point calls it the iPhone seven, right? At right. no point. Uh, well, Hold that thought because there's that's key to understanding this, his sources or one mm-hmm. of the keys to yes, understanding indeed. his sources. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's just say they call it the seven. That that's this other rumor would say there'd be the iPhone seven, four point seven inches, the iPhone seven plus, which would be five point five inches, and still have the same camera, probably with like the image stabilization, but the single camera circle on the back. And then the iPhone seven pro which would have the dual camera system and presumably like maybe like 256 gigs of, of storage. Um, I, I, and part of that rumor is based on like supply chain links that show some of these plates that look, they're the bigger size, but they only have one hole for the camera. Hmm. And who knows if they're fake. I, I don't know. Some of those, it's like the, the, when those pictures come out, they go so super viral that there's, you know, some of them have been fake over the years. I don't know what the motivation is for people making these fake ones, but it's crazy. I that this does that doesn't make any product marketing sense to me. Yeah, I, I agree. Know. And and we've just defined right. We we got uh, what's an iPad Pro, right? I feel like they could do an iPhone Pro, but to have a Pro and a Plus and the regular iPhone and the SE. And have the Pro and the Plus be essentially the same, except one of them has this like one esoteric difference. It seems too complicated and um which is not to say that i'm not intrigued by the idea of like an iphone pro that is the two cameras and maybe support for the pencil um that's interesting that's an interesting idea of of, of branding that product that way but to have that and then it feels more likely to me that it's just you know what we're seeing is the is is the success plus just again maybe maybe slightly altered but just the success plus and and that's a question is like what do they keep traditionally apple has kept the previous year's phones in the lineup um so you know what happens there too i i don't, I don't know it seems unlikely though that they would have two identical phones except for like the cameras on the back yeah and it just it it, it makes it harder like with by calling them the iphone 6 and the iphone 6 plus and then the 6s and the 6s plus they can just say they can say shot with iPhone six, and it, right. it, and it, all of the new phones are in, 
carried with that, whether you have the plus or not. The plus is just refers to the size, even though the camera was technically slightly better because it had the optical image stabilization. They didn't right. need to say that. They could just say they could run ads and billboards that just say iPhone 6 or iPhone 6S and it covers both. Whereas if they do this, they it doesn't. They'd have to run separate campaigns and then that would it would peg the ones that are going to sell in greater quantities, the lower priced ones, the 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 regular and the plus, it would peg them as being on this on a lower tier from day 1. Which is it? Just I, I don't know. Something about that doesn't sit right with me. I guess it's possible. Like I wouldn't be shocked if that's how it turns out. But German's story makes it seem like there's just two: four point seven, five point five, and the five point yeah. five has a better camera. Yeah, it has these double, you know, dual lens system, which is a cool idea. I mean, I think I I think the place where smartphones could still get better, right? I mean, back in yeah. the old days, it's like they could get better everywhere. It's like everything could be better. But now the place, like number one place where I think a smartphone could get better in terms of priority has to be the cameras. The cameras could get so much better because we we know what good cameras look like. And although the cameras on smartphones are amazing compared to what they used to be, they they could still be so much better. So I like the idea that Apple is right. is going down that path and saying, what if we put two lenses on and use software and put them together and 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 they should be doing that. That that's absolutely the right thing for them to do. Yeah, and I don't even think German's description of it is a. It, his description is about it's first mentioned sharpening photos taken in low light environments. I mean, that could help with that, but. The bigger, the biggest difference of the two lens system isn't really light sensitivity. That's a problem that's really hard to solve just because of the physics of optics with the the size of these devices and how yeah. small the sensors are compared to like a full size or even even like the four third system cameras or something. You know, the ones with small sensors like a, APS-C. Like in a camera, camera, those small sensors are so much bigger than the sensors that you can fit in a phone. Like it's, it's absolutely remarkable how good the photos you can get off these devices are with how tiny the sensors are, but that's really a limiting factor for light sensitivity. The two lens system is really about having two lenses of different focal distances. So you've got the one that's wide angle, like the one we already, we've always had on our phone. And then to have a second one that has a, a, a longer focal length, like, you know, I don't know what it would be, the equivalent in 35 millimeter terms, but, you know, a 50 or an 85 or something. Um, so that when you zoom, it can actually do it optically instead of, like, if you're trying to shoot something far away and get it closer and, you know, fill up more of the frame, the optics of that are way better if you actually have, if you're doing it with a real longer lens instead of with, you know, just cropping the wide, the wide lens picture. Right. And there's going to be ought to be ways. There might be ways to do 3D stuff, you know, slightly 3D stuff, you know, for the live pictures and stuff like that. It could be all sorts of really cool optical stuff with this. So, uh, I better get bigger, bigger pockets. Yeah, I know that's that. That's my thought too. Is I, I I've always rejected that phone because it's so large. But um, I would be if anything would tempt me to get a larger phone, it would be something like that. Like a much better camera would tempt me to to just swallow my pride and expand my pockets and get the get the big phone yeah the second factor for me in a little bit like the hand the the size in the pockets in the hand i'm never gonna like but the second factor for me personally is that i'm like my i'm rushing towards needing reading glasses when i wear my contact lenses like i've mentioned this on the show before but long story short when i wear my contacts 
I, I need reading glasses to read in low light environments now. I can't focus at reading length when I have my contacts in. When I'm wearing my glasses, I can because the, and I talked to my eye doctor about this because when you wear glasses, they're further from the, the lens of my eye, whereas contacts literally, they're right there. And so right. it, it's at a distance, I see exactly the same, you know, clarity with glasses on and contacts. But at a close distance, when you start getting presbyopia in your 40s, it really it makes a big difference whether you have contacts on or not. So, but really, when I have my glasses on, what I like to do when I read is take them off, and I'm because I'm nearsighted. I can without any correction at all. I can read. That's when I read the best. I actually read tons and tons on my phone lately in the morning before I put my contacts in, just with just because it's actually the the way I see clearest is with no correction at all, hmm. with my phone yeah. right in front of my face. Um, but I wear contacts most of the time. Uh, but having the bigger phone and being able to make the text bigger would actually would actually be optically good for me. Yeah, my my wife has a 6s and uses it in the mode where it's blown up to essentially it's pretending yeah. to be a five. Yeah, uh, because she's because she's got um, for the first time because she's always had perfect vision, but she's in her forties now and so now she needs reading glasses yeah. and so she's just. Uh, that's been one of her concessions to be able to use her phone without having to switch to reading glasses is is using that extra screen space just to make everything bigger. And so, yeah, what I've been doing, uh, I I haven't given into that zoom mode, but I do go into uh, the text size. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it is it it just made it makes me feel good about the fact that I've been promoting accessibility features long <laughs> before I needed them, but now yeah. I, I really do. I I mean, yeah. and and my vision problems. I I always want to say this. If anything, it makes me appreciate how good my vision still is, you know, because it's like having a, a scare with, you know, losing the, all the vision in my eye when I had the retina detachment. It really makes me appreciate just how bad some people's vision really is. People who are, you know, uh, on some scale legally blind. Um, but, you know, there's some people who are legally blind can still see something. But the, the accessibility features in iOS, it's like, it's so great. It makes me, and, and now I'm actually somebody who benefits from them. Well, that's how my wife uses her Apple Watch because you know you can't really do the large screen mode on the Apple Watch, right. and she has used the accessibility feature to increase the, the the text size, and it makes her Apple Watch usable. Otherwise, it's like it's great that I have this watch on, but if I have to put my glasses on every time I need to read yep. anything on the screen, it's pointless. So she uses the the type size control. Yep, I do too. It is a great, great, great yeah. feature. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm going to have a big phone. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see how, what exactly, the devil's in the details. And this comes back to what you were saying about um, where Mark Gurman's sources are, is is a lot of times with these Apple products, I always say this, I mean, it, it's just, it's so true. You got to know where the rumors are coming from. And what, and, and the, what we know is what is a, we know the product, but we don't know the story. And, right. and, and, and it's the marketing. And in, and in some ways it's the software. Like we know that there are two cameras and we can speculate on what those cameras do. But Apple will probably have a very particular story about how those cameras work together, when one camera gets used, when the other gets used, do they get merged together? How does that work? Is there UI to flip between them or change the focus or things like that? And that, we we really don't know. Yeah, like what's the scenario where this is going to be better? Like a a scenario I can think of, and I'm sure you you run into the same thing too, is parent in the auditorium and the kids on stage. That's where the phone, the phone is a terrible camera for that situation because you really want a picture of your kid, but it's there's no way that optical zoom in a dimly lit auditorium, not optical zoom, uh, 
digital digital zoom, zoom you know, yeah it's the word of a wide angle a wide angle lens with a tiny little sensor it's you might as well not even do it i always wonder when i see these parents holding their phones up for the entire thing i, I really want to play that louis ck rant of of hey just be here you know what i mean just yeah. be here from because it's not just that you'd be better off just being there and watching it uh the the actual image you're getting from that camera from a cell phone halfway back in an auditorium is going to be useless you're not going to make out your kid's face but a longer lens might it might actually save that yeah i i was we were coming back from a a long weekend and we were driving we were in uh, southern oregon and so we were driving back driving south and you go past on interstate five you go past mount shasta which is huge volcano um there's a uh, it's it's like two miles above the the rest of the landscape around it and even middle of summer with it 90 degrees outside there's snow and glaciers and stuff on the top of it and it's spectacular you're driving down the freeway and there's this huge volcano right in front of you and i get on my iphone to take a picture of it and i open it up and i look and it's just like it's like it's not even there because right. it's that wide angle shot it's right. got both sides of the windshield it's got the road and all that and i i zoomed in and i got i got an okay shot with the digital zoom right. but those shots are no good because yeah. they are zoomed in so far that any of the majesty of it is now lost in all the little pixelation that happens. Yeah. It is. I, it does. It, it will make for, and I presume it'll be Schiller who does it because that's Schiller's gig. You, these years is usually the, he's the guy who does the new iPhone in September. On right. Uh, and I happen to know that, you know, Schiller is a truly a, you know, a real f- f- photography enthusiast. He really knows his shit about cameras. Uh, and he really cares, but it's such a hard thing to present when you're saying how awesome this camera is, and this other phone that we also want you to be excited about <laughs> doesn't have it and can't do it. But That's that is—it's a perfect scenario, though. Like you want to get the mountaintop, you know, and that is exactly the sort of thing where a second lens that is longer will make a, a dramatic difference. But when they show you the dramatic difference, it's going to be in comparison to what you get with the other new iPhone. I think they're just going to have to say, like, you know, we could do this because it's a much larger phone, yeah, yeah. and 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 they they're going to have to explain it that way. That's yeah. like the only way we could do this is because yeah. the iPhone six plus or yeah. seven plus or whatever it is yeah. is this much bigger, yeah. um, and and so we can have we have the room to do this. But um, I, I'm looking forward to that demo because I imagine that's going to be the ooh and ah demo of the whole thing because yeah. they're going to have some first they're going right. to have hired spectacularly good photographers. Yep. To take all the sample images, and then they're going to they're going to be perfect ones to show off when you flip a switch or you slide yep. your finger or something. You go from A to B, and yep. everybody goes whoa, and you can see what it's going to be. It's going to be a a, a yeah. winner that demo. Yeah, yeah, I totally think so. Uh, before we leave the iPhone, I'd, I'd hinted a few minutes ago that not knowing the product names is a clue to German mm. sources. Like the product names, in my in my experience, there are. That is like need to know basis within Apple, mm-hmm. and I think that the number of people, even like who work in product marketing, who know the name of the new iPhone, is probably pretty small. Yeah, names, prices. Yep. Um, and, and it also means they're also changeable, right? Like right. the hardware, the hardware's been locked for for ages now. The software is basically locked. Um, although, yeah, they will have little bits, but it's stuff that they've had to be working on for months yeah. and months and yeah. months. Names, unless it's shipping that day, and it's still the name is iPhone, right? They could literally ship a box that just says iPhone on it, and it would yep. be okay. So the names that you can leave those pretty late in the game, and prices you can really leave late in the game. And so it's a very small group of people. Uh, who are doing that in in terms of marketing and and PR and 
and they don't they don't leak as much unless they I, I want to. I think they they don't the co- unless the company wants a leak. Sure. I think they don't they don't leak as much. It it comes from supply chain and it comes from kind of people in the broader uh, company who know little bits about it and yeah. and can leak those little bits. But I, my experience, I don't know. Um, do you remember when they did um, Mountain Lion? And everybody expected there would be no OS update for like another year or six months. And um, we all got briefings uh, yeah. about Mountain Lion. And I, like, I literally didn't know what I was being briefed on. And I walked in and said, yeah, there's a new version of OS 10. It's called Mountain Lion. And it's going to come out and, you know, we're going to announce it in two weeks. Yeah. And I, I just, nobody had been talking about it. And literally it was not, I mean, the embargo dropped and everybody's minds were blown. That's That, that was a really instructive thing for me about how buttoned up Apple in Cupertino in the marketing department could be yep. because that was something that didn't leak. And why didn't it leak? Because that not not very many people knew and nobody in the supply chain knew. Nobody right. outside of of Infinite Loop knew, really. Yeah, and the I don't know how they do the the packaging, like where where and how they make all the boxes for these phones, but that's, you know, like here, my box here, I have one right here on my desk and it says iPhone 6S. So right. somewhere there's somebody making all these boxes and that could leak, but it's different than a could. regular supply chain. And it's notable that the phones themselves don't have the numbers on the back. They usually just say iPhone. Last year they they, they put the S underneath, but it just says right. iPhone S. And the iPhone SE has an SE underneath it on the back etched into it. And that name did leak. Yeah. Because it's etched, it was etched on the things that they were making in the supply chain. <laughs> yeah, and I you wonder about like yeah the security of who who who's printing you know where the boxes yeah where do they get printed and right. assembled and who is that and presumably that's all happening in China because they're shipping them direct from China. But I, I'm not saying too that you you couldn't you know you could hedge on the name if you wanted to, but the name was probably chosen. But yeah. it's a it's a smaller group and they can keep it buttoned up more easily and and you see that in a lot of reports where there are details from. The, the hardware side, but not from the marketing and marketing side. And that al- allows us to keep some degree of, um, of uh, a mystery, at least yeah. for a while. Often you will see those reports happen like a day or two before the event when, when they have to tell people, but th- those, those people in the know can be really um, secretive about it right now. Yeah. And once, you know, boatloads of these things are, uh, you know, en route or I guess yeah. they fly the first couple batches. I don't know. But once they're starting yeah. to put them on pallets and ship them, you know, across the Pacific Ocean, then there's obviously more sources for leaks. Right. Then the jig is up. Although that's one reason why, why they're not usually available today, right? right? When they announce them is that they are not quite in the, in the chain yet at that point to, to keep some amount of, of uh, secrecy, I think. Right. I wonder. I wonder how, like, how much that you know that, that they only do like a small number of boxes beforehand, so that they can give us the review units and stuff. But then once they announce it, is when all of a sudden, like, there's some place in China where they start <laughs> start printing yeah. out literally millions of boxes with the product name. <laughs> like, go, because yeah, I would presume that they can print these boxes a hell of a lot faster than they can assemble phones. Oh yeah, sure. I'm right? sure. I'm sure. It's probably a cool machine to see. Yeah, I was I was thinking. I wonder if you could print on an assembled box. So like, just keep the <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just keep the edge that says whether it's a six SE or a seven or something else, and just stamp it. Probably not. They probably yeah. print it on the cardboard and fold it up. Uh, let's take a break before we talk about the Mac rumors. Um, and let me thank our next sponsor. It's our good friends at Fracture. Fracture is a photo decor company that is out to rescue your personal favorite 
photos, speaking of cameras, uh, from the digital ether. You guys know, if you're a longtime listener of this show or other shows, you know it. They're, this is a company that you send them your photos and they print them directly on glass. They don't print your photos on paper and then like glue the paper to glass or something like that. They have a proprietary process that is amazing where they print them directly on glass. I don't know how it works, but it looks amazing. They really pop. They have great vibrant color and contrast it just it just looks like an exquisite print of a photo and it is a great way to bring your photos to life it is such a great thing and it is such a lost thing that we even i'm guilty of it i have them as a regular sponsor and i buy them all the time and when i really think about it i don't get enough of my pictures printed by fracture i'm going to get some printed after the show because i love them i love having them around the house everybody loves having pictures hanging up on the wall they look so great it is amazing how good digital photos even from your phone now look when you get them printed analog on on something that you can actually touch um I can't say how happy these – every time I buy these fractures, I can't tell you how happy they make me. They even call it their happiness guarantee. It's 60 days. So buy it. Go – if you don't just want to take my word for it, buy it, get them, take a look at them, and you have 60 days where if you're not happy with the print that you ordered, uh, you can send it back and they don't care. They do them. They're handmade in uh, Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source supplies in a carbon-neutral factory, so you can feel good about that. Uh, here's what you do. Go to fractureme.com slash podcast. I love this note. URL ends in podcast, not the name of your podcast. Fractureme.com slash podcast, and you will get 10% off your first order. And then they're going to give you a, a survey, and it's got one question. And the question is, how'd you hear about Fracture? And then that's where you say uh, the talk show or Daring Fireball or whatever you want to say. So go there. Fractureme.com slash podcast. Love those. I'm, I'm surrounded by those right now. Yeah, it, it's they're great. It's 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 yeah. just so great. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about this company. And it's not really gift giving season in the middle of August, but my <laughs> God, it is the best. It is the best gift for family people you could ever imagine. It's like well, they can, do actually assemble them, you know, in in Florida. So they they have limited uh, limited. Basically, they I think yeah. they they get busy at yeah. the holidays, so yeah. it's not bad to order ahead yeah. quite honestly because yeah. they these are not they don't have just a factory where they can just turn it up they've got their 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 uh their people who make these either themselves. either last year or the year before i remember doing a read where they specifically the read included like in bold print like you know order please, now <laughs> yeah please tell people to order by the end of november because by <laughs> december 1st we might be backlogged past christmas yeah um all right, back to German. So German had the second thing, and more recently, I think it was just a couple of days ago, he had a report on the new MacBook Pro. Yeah. And some of it, there was one bit that was new to me, I think, but the rest of it wasn't. The bit that was new to me was he said specifically that it is not a tapered design like the regular MacBook or the MacBook Air. It is still a symmetric thickness across the mm-hmm. side, which surprised me because I... I sort of thought that they would go to a tapered design. That it would that that they would go. It would be like like think of a MacBook Air, but with the Retina screen. Yeah, I mean, they must just. Uh, this is a way to differentiate it. This is a way to have more room in there for battery and stuff. I, I mean, it sounds like it's still thinner, yeah. slightly thinner. He says, yeah, but not tapered. That's a little surprising. I think. I think that was the the going theory was that it would be more like the. Like the MacBook Air yeah. or the or the MacBook, just a little bit more chunky than that. Yeah, it's ch- chunkier still. Part of my thinking it would be tapered is 
it's three factors. One, Apple tends to make things thinner. I don't know if yep. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever thought about this or it's noticed. The jo- jobs is law. That's the jobs law right there. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed, Jason, but over the years, <laughs> Apple tends to make devices thinner. Interesting. Uh, and going to a tapered design is a way to make it thinner in parts while still having you know there's certain things that maybe require the thickness and they can stick them in the back. Right. Uh, two is there was a report earlier this year from Ming Chi Kuo, uh, the supply chain analyst over in Asia who has very almost no sources I think within Apple itself, but some very good supply chain sources in in the Asian countries where these factories are. Uh, and he reported he had a curious report about a 13 inch MacBook, meaning like the 12 inch MacBook that that we have today, the just plain MacBook, a 13 inch version, right? Which makes no sense whatsoever. Like 12 inch and 13 inch is not enough differentiation, and the 12 inch was just updated. Like if if they wanted to change the 12 inch to 13, I could see that that would be believable. If they wanted to go back and have two versions, one eleven and one thirteen, like they used to with the Air, uh, I could see that. But twelve and thirteen isn't. It's you know you got to have like small and large. You can't have like large and semi-large. It doesn't make any sense. So to me, that made sense only in the context that it wasn't a MacBook, that it was a MacBook Pro. And you know maybe he was just wrong, and there is no thirteen-inch tapered MacBook. Um, but that's just what I thought. And then the third factor is wishful thinking. <laughs> because yeah, sure. I, I've said this before. For years, my portable was an 11-inch MacBook Air. And it was, it, it was really slow because I tend to – the thing that I do that really slows down a Mac is I have like 30 or 40 Safari windows open. Each, <laughs> I swear to God, <laughs> yeah. I think I have like 40 windows open here on my iMac, each of them with like eight tabs. <laughs> And on the MacBook Air, that would really, you know, I'd have to call tab bankruptcy way more frequently than I want, frequently than I wanted to, because it just was slowing it down. But the thing I loved about it and got addicted to, and even two years into having this 13-inch MacBook Pro, still can't get used to, is when I take it out of a bag, I turn, put, set it in front of me the wrong way because the tapered design made it instantaneously knowable which is the front and which is the back. And I still have, if I want to do it visually, I'm so old and I'm so used to the old power books that I still remember when the Apple logo looked right when you were sitting in front of it closed, not when it was right. open. And so I, it, that doesn't help me either. Yeah, I still have my 11-inch Air here. That's my laptop that I take around if I need to. And I thought, yeah, I think there's a, a group of people who are like, well, that that MacBook is not for me. But I'm sure the new MacBook Pro will be smaller and lighter than the existing MacBook Pro and that'll be close enough. And I think that I think that's the question here and that's what you're getting at with sort of wishing that it's more of a wedge shape is the the hope that it's yeah, it's a MacBook Pro but it's still really thin and light yeah. and that may not be, you know, that may not be possible uh, given that they do want it to truly be a Pro and yeah. have the power that yeah. the MacBook doesn't. Yeah, that that the the pro they're really serious about the pro at name part of the name and and that makes right. sense to me that you know because it is pro and they really want to emphasize graphics you know and there's according to German some options to have these really nice AMD graphics you know GPUs uh, and other you know battery life and other things you know obviously it's easier to put a bigger battery in a device that isn't tapered so it makes sense. Um, 
and maybe it still has the nicer keyboard if it's thicker because I kind of, you know. I, I assume that these are going to have a keyboard that's more like the Magic Keyboard. Um, so different than the classic keyboard, but not the MacBook keyboard. That's yeah. my, that would be my guess is that they, they engineered this other kind of keyboard for a reason. And it's yeah. probably not just as an external Bluetooth keyboard that this would be the basis of the, of the, of the MacBook uh, Pro keyboard too, instead of the super thin MacBook keyboard. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I hope so. Um, and the, I guess the other thing, now again, this was, you know, rumored before, I think, Maybe from German, I'd probably from German when he was at nine to five Mac, and I've heard other things elsewhere. But that the function keys are being replaced. There will be no more function keys on the keyboard. The F one, F two, F three, and which most people use for the other purpose, they don't usually use them as function keys, but as the whatever the little icon is, you know, the volume up, volume down, right? Uh, keyboard brightness, etc. That those are going away, and it'll be replaced with uh, an uh, LED touchscreen. That will be uh -huh. software configurable, so it'll be like having uh, almost like an iOS device on the keyboard, where you tap on these buttons. That would be software configurable, right? Which presumably means that then there will be a when this is announced that all the like app developers are going to be given no time to <laughs> be handed a new API right. of like here's how you do this, and then they're going to have to kind of jump to it, or we're going to see slow adoption of it, which is the downside of having a, a fancy new bit of hardware that requires software adoption because there'll, there'll be a lag. Um, I'm I'm a little skeptical of this. It, it, it's all about the implementation, but I'm I'm skeptical only in the sense that I don't look down at my keyboard a lot. Uh, right. <laughs> And and you you use it by feel, and this is going to be an area that you presumably can't use by feel unless there's some other aspect to this that is not clear in these reports, and that 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 concerns me. Like if you have to look down in order to mute your system because you don't know where the mute button is or if it's even visible, that's uh, that seems less good to can me. Can you can you hit the mute key without looking? I can't. I can't use any of those at function keys without looking. I can touch type. But hmm. I even after I don't I I'm not even I, don't know. I can't even touch type numbers. I have to look when I type numbers. I can only do the alphabet and the I do it some of the time. I, I can I can touch type some of them some of the time and sometimes I do look if I'm if I'm not oriented, if my hands aren't on the keyboard, I think. Um I think it's true. But you you know, that's the argument is that you just you look you glance down and, and you tap. I also I I'm kind of excited. I used to have a, a Bluetooth keyboard that had a, a volume control. Um that was uh, you. It had a little strip that you just slid your finger on, and I think that's interesting. That some of the things we do with these with these devices, like making the the brightness uh, more or less, or making the volume louder or quieter, don't really have to be. They're not even the best way to control them. Is not two keys or three keys. It's probably. It, because it's a it's a spectrum, and on a, on an right. iPhone you just you just slide a slider. Right. I could see that for something like this too, where instead of having keys to control the brightness of your display, there's just a brightness strip, and you slide your finger on it. Right. Which is once you touch it, cool. once you turn it, like the slider pops up next to it. Right. Like you put, yeah, your, or, fin yeah. put your finger on brightness, and then slide uh, your finger to adjust. Exactly. Even if you don't look, if you just right. if you know where to land your finger for the brightness right. area, then at that point you're at wherever you are now, and you just slide left or right, right. to make it brighter or dark, or or likewise with volume. And right. then if you want it quiet, you just touch the volume thing and slide right. to the left until it says yeah. it's muted. And that's that's a better interaction than tap 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 on a yeah. key. Yeah, uh, I could see that. You know, I mean, and uh, I uh, for system wide stuff, I can definitely see it. I'm. I, I, it's not that I'm skeptical. It's just that I can't. 
I've yet to imagine a scenario where I would want per application stuff. And that's one of the things Gurman said the point was that, you know, depending on what application you're in, you could have different things. So, you know, would it be helpful, like if you're using Photoshop or, or you know, an image editor uh, to have the the tool palette on the keyboard? So I that guess you the could- argument is like, you know, Final Cut users sometimes would have like stickers that they put on keys yeah, yeah, <laughs> in order yeah. to say like, this is what I need to do to do this thing that you wouldn't need. You could just have custom labels. I mean, yeah. it's just like with the iPhone, you have the custom label. So even if it's essentially the same as command shift option K or it's, you know, sh- you know, command F2, that instead of that, it just has a thing that says, you know, split clip yeah. and you and you tap it and it does what you want. I yeah, guess that I, would be the idea. I guess. I guess there's some, you know, and it ties it back in with our earlier discussion about custom keycaps you know where i've seen like you i've seen that you can buy like if you use final cut as a professional you can get like especially not just stickers you could just buy a keyboard that has the you know the keys i think there's photoshop versions of that too yeah well you know um on atp at one point a few months ago they talked about that i think there's a an incredibly expensive keyboard that has custom keys like they're like little screens oh (laughs) i have seen that yeah and that's madness but yeah. you know that 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 idea so yeah i mean it, it's it's true and and you know i could see apple pitching it as being a way to unearth um the most important uh and little used features in your app in a way that but you know you can expose them by giving them their own dedicated space on the keyboard uh i i my fear is that apple's going to have some really great examples with their apps and then all the third party developers are going to be like well you know, and 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 they're going to not adopt it, or they're going to do it badly. Um, that it, we'll have to see, because that's a that's a real challenge for it. like Mac software developers suddenly have having to do this whole new approach to uh, their UI, which is this o- only on MacBook Pros, by the way. <laughs> right. I, I don't know. It's weird. Well, maybe presumably, I would think if it takes off, if there's any kind of traction with it whatsoever, it will come to the regular MacBook next revision around and maybe we'll come to the magic keyboard yeah i mean maybe um i think it's a little weird as i as i think about it and imagine it i can imagine it being cool i can imagine it being a gimmick i'm not sold on it purely as an idea yeah um but i do think it's weird a weird mashup of touch screens and the the abstraction of the pointer based mac os right that you've got a screen on the laptop that is abstract meaning you have to use a trackpad or a mouse to move a pointer that is a representation of you in the system uh and then to have an actual touch screen right there right it gets to the whole point of people thinking that they want touch screens on the mac itself which but it remains inside apple's philosophy of it which is that you don't go out of the out of the plane, you don't go perpendicular. That people don't right. want to do the zombie arms thing. Right. But but if your hands are down on the keyboard right. and on a laptop, you know you're looking at the screen, but you're also looking at the keyboard. It's right, right there. You can't really look away from it. And that at the you know, and then your fingers are already you know right next to that touch area. So you're not having to lift up and then reach out and touch the screen. So it, it does fit. It, it's a way for them to do touch screen technology. Uh, short of replacing the entire keyboard with a touchscreen, <laughs> right. uh, while not kind of breaking their philosophy of not doing a touchscreen on the main screen. Right, which would also require you to redo the entire UI of the Mac OS to make things of a size that would be amenable to being touched, which yeah. would make it all the controls incredibly large for everybody using a mouse. 
which would be which is one of the reasons why I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. It doesn't say German doesn't say whether the um, touchscreen strip for function keys, as he describes it, will be uh, taptic. I hope that it is because it, to me that would make it make a lot more sense because then you could navigate by feel a little better, right? I don't, I don't know if you can though because if it if it's if it's a touchscreen, then if if you're running your finger over it. You're touching it, unless unless it's pressure sensitive, right? I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions about this one. This is this is a real mystery where where not knowing anything but the existence of the hardware, right. we're left to put our own judgments on it that may have nothing to do with the the real approach and the real way Apple's going to explain it when yeah. they roll this out. Uh, it also says it'll have USB C, but doesn't say how many right. USB C ports. Famously, right, or, I don't or know. if it's or, or if they're removing USB yeah. at all together, or Thunderbolt, or is there a mix? It's just sort of like there will be USB. It will include USB C. Right. That's it. One of the, one of his sources said, um, which ties back to my how long will I be able to get away using an Apple extended keyboard too? The adapter I have goes to regular USB, so. I, yeah. you know, you what just should USB C to right. USB to ADB just to chain, just to keep chaining them forever. <laughs> right. Eventually, though, right. So I'll be able to keep going with a USB C only iMac if, let's say, the next one I replace this iMac, if that one only has USB C. Although I presume on an iMac, they're not going to get rid of the, you know, they can afford to just have a bunch of ugly ports because they hide them all on the back. Um, yeah, probably. So I probably won't, and that's where I use this keyboard. I don't. I've never used the. I've never used it with a MacBook. Um, you know, it doesn't make any sense to pl plug a extended keyboard, you know, an external keyboard into a MacBook. So I'm not too worried about it. But it makes me think, wonder about, you know, at some point, eventually, I think before the uh, the death of the Mac, I I wouldn't be surprised if I'm using a Mac that doesn't have any ports at all, other than power. So yeah. You know. You know, 10, 15 years from now, will I, will I, will there be USB ports on a Mac? I don't know. Well, you'll be going from wireless standard to USB-C to USB to ADB at that point. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. sure there'll be a, I'm sure there'll be a chain of adapters that you can use to keep using your 30 plus year old keyboard at that right. point. I guess that's what I'll need. I'll need a USB port that, uh, a, a hub that goes to wireless. To wireless, to, yeah. To Bluetooth 8. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. He also, the other report in here that I thought was really interesting when we talk about sort of how he qualifies his sources at Bloomberg is, he says, Apple has also considered bringing space gray, gold, and silver. Uh, oh, I mean, sil yeah. silver it already is, it, but, but basically adding the other two colors that they have on the iPhones and on the MacBook to the new line, um, a person said. Right. And then he says, it's unclear if this will happen. So basically, he had one person say that they were talking about it, and we don't know what the outcome is and if they're actually doing it or not, just that they thought about it. Yeah. I think they probably will. I yeah. hope they do. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, I've been, um, on other podcasts, I've been complaining about this for a while now, is I kind of miss the old days of like the colorful iPods and stuff. Mm. And even the colorful Macs, if you go back to the original iMac, um, and the, and they ended up having you know eight different colors of those. Yeah. I kind of miss that. Like we 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 were all silver Apple products for so long, um, and now we've got the gold and the space gray, and that's good. I think it's a good step. But I do I do feel sometimes I know that there's supply chain issues and 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 store issues and and all of that. But I do kind of miss having more personality and color. And like if somebody wants to buy a blue MacBook, 
they, I w- that would be great. They, they, I would love that. But at least um, one of the things I like about the MacBook is that it isn't just the silver color. Yeah. You can get it in the gold or the rose gold or the or the space gray. Yeah, it's been a long time for me where there's one color for a MacBook and you're yeah. going to like it. <laughs> I had the black MacBook when they made that and I loved that. Um, and then that was the last MacBook I had before I, sh- I switched to the MacBook Air and it's been all silver laptops. Since I, I saw someone in Starbucks with the black MacBook Earlier this summer, maybe yeah. earlier this year, and it was in out there. Great condition. I mean, this guy really obviously cares for it because, it, yeah. it, at a glance at least, it was. It certainly wasn't gr- grungy at all. Uh, and I was, I was, I had this moment where I was just like, "Whoa, what is that? That thing looks great." And then I realized that what it was, and I was, and then I, then I kind of saw how thick it was, and I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> "They were more prone to fingerprints than the right. white ones, but I think they were more resilient overall because the white ones were super shiny, yeah. and so they got scratched pretty easily. But the black ones were this matte color, and at a, they at were a, more resilient. At a glance, I thought it was gorgeous. The other one mm-hmm. that I've had that I don't, I haven't seen one in years now, but long after it was discontinued, occasionally I would see the twelve-inch. Uh, I think it was called a PowerBook. Yeah, twelve inch power book. The one that was, that was my... the one where the oh, keyboard yeah. really went edge to edge. Yeah, just like the MacBook now. I mean, that was the yeah. that was the original edge to edge. This this laptop cannot be any wider than the keyboard, right. the full size keyboard. I yeah. love that. That was my favorite before the eleven inch air. That was my favorite laptop. I I for years afterwards, after its discontinuation, when I'd see one like at a press event or in a coffee shop or something, I'd have this moment of. Whoa! What brand computer is that? That is a hot look. That you know, like wow, Apple should get on that. Makes oh oh, <laughs> yep. Because I knew it wasn't you know like the modern. I instantly did recognize it as something different than what you is available now, and instantly recognized it as something that was gorgeous. Yeah, and but then, boxy because it's yeah. so thick now. But yeah. but in terms of the width, I mean, it was it was incredibly small, some, yeah. way smaller, smaller than the MacBook because the screen was so much smaller. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but then but then super thick. Yeah, it it yeah. had there was a certain elegance to the way that the keyboard looked edge to edge, where it's sort of like the same appeal as like those infinity pools, like it just hmm. looks I, something in my brain registers that as beautiful. Like it's the same way. Like there was. Somehow, instead of being awkward that there was no edge around it, it, it the proportions were so nice that it just looked sharp, like really, I, really I always sharp. Felt, I always felt that that computer was like a keyboard that had a computer around it, that it was like the computer and the keyboard were just all part of the same thing in a way because of that design. Yeah, I, I, yeah that, was my, that was my favorite. The 11-inch took it over as my sort of favorite Apple laptop ever, yeah. but... For a long time, it was that that twelve inch. The MacBook is is kind of kind of owes something to that now, but uh, it's not quite the same. Yeah, uh, there's a framing device in Gurman's story that I don't buy at all, which uh, is that. And and if you watch the video he did with Bloomberg TV, they emphasize it too, which is sort of like Apple is doing this new MacBook Pro because iPad sales have tapered off, and the iPad didn't really succeed at being the replacement for laptops. I mean, here's I'll just read his words. This year's MacBook Pro overhaul is aimed at increasing notebook sales at a time when consumers are taking longer to buy or replace iPads. Apple research suggests customers upgrade iPads roughly every three years while they buy new iPhones every 18 to 12 months, according to a person familiar with Apple strategy, which blah, blah, blah. That, I, that has nothing to do with why this MacBook is coming out now. It's, yeah, it's, it, it, it sounds to me like he had a tidbit, which is that Apple research is, yeah. seems to have twigged on what the buying pattern is for the iPad, which we've all been wondering 
Like, what is the cycle? And it sounds like his sources su- suggest that Apple thinks it's three years. Um, but it, it doesn't seem to have, I mean, like they weren't going to update the MacBook Pro. If the iPad was doing great, they were just never going to update it again. I think most people would say that it's surprising it's taken them this long right. because they were waiting out Intel and Intel had some issues and they thought they could skip a generation and get away with it. But yeah. then they got bitten and now they're like, now Four, it's too long. 440 days or something like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, it's very clear that they thought that they could get away with skipping that one Intel processor generation and, and skating by because the next one was going to be great. And then the, the next one got, had issues. And now here we are. But, um, you know, yeah, I don't why, think it has anything to do with the iPad. <laughs> yeah. Why Why has it taken so long for this iPad, this new MacBook Pro to come out? And we're speaking about it as though it's out and it's not out yet. And no. we can even. It may not be out until October or November right. even. Um. And I think what you said, I don't think with this in particular, like the the Mac Pro is a totally different story. And I don't know what is going on there because it's been nine years or not nine years, but yeah, it feels like it. <laughs> it's been about nine years since it came out. Three years without any updates at all. And that it, there's the story on that has to be more complicated and, and might be more worrisome to people who really depend on those 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 machines with the macbook pro though i think the story is exactly what you said i think that there was an intel generation of chips that apple thought they could skip and wait for the next one in this because it's like why do a new version of the macbook pro of the old you know macbook pro as we know it with just with a new chipset when this new thing is coming when and we have all these plans for the you know keyboard and it's going to be thinner um we'll wait you know we'll wait and we'll wow them with that and it's taken longer than they thought it would. Because it's too many. They sell too many of these. Like, it's easy to say that their eye is off the ball on the Mac Pro because it just doesn't sell in high quantities. But the MacBook Pro is a big moneymaker. It really is. I think it's their... I, I mean, my my money would be on it being their number one Mac that they sell, right? Because they sell t- somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the Macs that they sell. They don't break it out anymore, I right. think. So we, we can't tell, but it's... Uh, it's a huge number. The majority of the Macs sold are laptops. They're not desktops. They're right. laptops. And I would think that, I mean, MacBook Air probably isn't selling very well now. The MacBook is probably doing okay, but MacBook Pro, that's the workhorse. That is, at a normal time, that's got to be the, the the most important of all the Mac product Certain, lines. And certainly by revenue and profit. Because it, yeah. if it's not quite there in quantity, it, it's a much higher price, especially, and because it attracts pros, It I'm sure that more people buy them and max out the storage and the ram and stuff like that and the graphics you know whereas the people who buy certainly the people who are buying macbook airs are buying them for the price at this point because the specs aren't there the screens aren't retina um whereas people buying the pros might be buying the ones that cost you know twenty five hundred dollars so by by revenue it's got to be so i i think apple is as is internally furious about the delay on this so the other yeah. thing German reports, and you you alluded at it, German says that they're not planning to uh, debut them at the event next month, which I expect to be on September 7th. And that's just, mainly just going by history, which is that for the last three or four years, they've had an event somewhere around like March 7th to th- or, or September 7th to 11th, 12th, something like that. And if you look at the calendar, March or September 7th, is the day. It's a Wednesday, no, no. and the Monday, two days before, is Labor Day, which is why they're not having it on Tuesday. Exactly right. Well, it was two years ago, it was the 9th, right. and I think last year was the 8th, and I think yeah. that making it the 7th this year makes makes a lot of sense. If, they, if they're if they sticking with that pattern, that'll right. be when it is. Um, 
I would have expected, and again, I have no inside information on this whatsoever, but just based on the fact that last year they used one event uh, to do everything that was coming out in the yeah. fall, <laughs> including the iPad Pro, which wasn't coming until late October, that even if these MacBook Pros aren't coming till October, that they would use this one event to to unveil them. And the one thing I do know, just from last year, was talking to people at Apple, that it was definitely purposeful a purposeful decision to go to one one event in september for everything they're going to do that fall instead of what they had done in the previous few years which was a biggish event in september and then a smallish event usually at town hall in cupertino in october that they found that too too hard to do back to back yeah you know i i think i think they could announce them at the event and just say, look, we, we love the Mac and we have a whole bunch of new Mac stuff. And here's a really quick look at where the Mac is going this fall. And they would say, this is coming out in October. This is coming out in November. Of course, Sierra's out now. Blah, blah, blah. We're done. Um, they could do an event. Also, I mean, I know people don't like it when I say this, but there are Apple can release products without an event. Yeah. And for something like the Mac, which we all love, but at the same time is a small part of Apple's overall business now, is it the end of the world if Apple does a, you know, a MacBook Pro press release? I mean, it, it would be a whimper, but they could. They could also do a really small event somewhere. They've done that before where it's a Mac event and it's got a very limited invite and it's town hall. I and think yeah. they could even do that. I don't think they're ever going to go back to town hall, but yeah. they got options. They, they don't have to give it. 30 minutes on stage yep. on September 7th. Yeah, my guess is that they either give it 30 minutes on stage September 7th or they'll release it without an event and do product briefings. In yeah, they'll do briefings and press release and big website. And, you know, I mean, the fact is Apple can release a product without an event and still get lots of press coverage because they invite their, you know, key journalist contacts to pre-briefings and give them an embargo and... And then, you know, one day you wake up and suddenly all of these reviews are posting about what the new yeah. MacBook that just was announced. Yeah, I think when they do the briefings, there's obviously fewer press than at an event, but it's not it's not super exclusive either. Like, I remember um, when the watch came out, uh, I, I there was an event in March. That was the year that I couldn't travel because of the eye surgery. Right. But they didn't give them – they didn't have watches to give out yet. And then when they did, they did – they did product briefings in New York and and on campus in Cupertino for you West Coasters. Um, so I went to New York, but it was tons and tons. I mean, a big, big operation. I mean, it was it wasn't just like oh, they invited three people and they're right. going to give them a watch. I mean, it was a, 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 an operation. Yeah, although that's that's in part perhaps because they thought they would be able to give them out at the March event, yeah. and they couldn't. But <laughs> but know. they can do that with the MacBook. I'm they, sure they they certainly. Absolutely could. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Anything else about the MacBook Pros? I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just we mentioned the seven years it's been since the Mac Pro got updated. I do yeah. think that that's a that's an overarching question that that um, we still need an answer to is what's going on with the rest of the Mac line, yeah. because, other than the MacBook. That it's all kind of th this would be the season. This fall would be the season where they would do a, a at least a speed bump on the iMacs and maybe the Mac Mini and certainly a story about what's going on with the Mac Pro. And it sounds like 
you know, they're working on that stuff. I've seen reports that all of that stuff is in process. Um, and it's just a question of when does it get formally announced and shipped? And yeah. it sounds like we may end up with a fall where the entire Mac line turns over, except yeah. for the MacBook. And yeah, I, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, I nice. really do. Because um, it is, you know, it's damn curious if you want to use a Mac Pro that you have to buy a three-year-old computer. I can't. I can't even believe they're still selling them. I mean, it, it's almost uh, unconscionable that those products are still for sale because they're so outdated now. It would be fascinating to know how many of them they're actually selling, because even more than the MacBook Pro, it, it it's almost certain that nobody goes in and bu- accidentally or just on a whim buys a Mac Pro, right? Like, this, right. it's it re- truly is the most pro of all of any. T- computer they sell it's very expensive it requires a display uh you know i wonder if they're selling them to institutional sales now where they actually buy a bunch of them and they give them a big discount and yeah you can buy them on on the apple store on apple.com but that maybe if they're selling any it's really that and and it's to to people that they they need a mac pro and they need it today Uh, they need a hundred of them i can totally see though how a lot of people coming in to buy a mac a macbook of any sort or an imac they have no idea when the last time it was revised, and they don't care. Sure, just just look at it. It looks yeah. great, and it seems to be very. It's very fast, right there in the store. Here, I'll buy it. Whereas the Mac I, Pro is only selling to people, whatever the reason, whether they're you know videos editors or photographers or developers, they're selling to people who know that this <laughs> this is a three year old yeah. computer, and I you know. And they and people who know a know that it's old, b know that it's no longer a good value for the dollar, and c know that it's going to physically pain them to buy one and then have a new one <laughs> come out in short order. Exactly. Also, I wouldn't feel bad buying an iMac now, even knowing that yeah, I would be an either. iMac in the fall because the that that the 2015 update to the iMac. I mean, those are those are good modern fast systems right. it's not the same situation they're all faster than the mac pro too basically so yeah uh, i don't mac even pro feel is baffling i i got the first 5k iMac. i'm yeah i've got that right now. and i don't even feel bad about that one even nope. knowing that the next one came with the increased color gamut which is gorgeous but which i, I don't, i'm never going to see it side by side with this one and this one still looks dropped dead this display is the best display i've ever had so yeah i, I don't even feel bad about that yeah, I'm colorblind, so I really, I mean, I, oh, I can yeah. see color. I can see color, but I'm, I don't appreciate some of the finer details of color yeah. and the color gamut thing. I, I basically, I can see it a little bit, but yeah, it doesn't make me feel sad. Um, I got the Core i7. Um, it, yeah, this is the i7 iMac. I, I did the build to order of the high end. It's like it's the most powerful Mac I have ever owned. I'm just, even though it's a 2014, I'm happy with it. It's. Um, Friend of the show, Craig Hockenberry, is doing uh, from the he's a developer at Icon Factory. Um, yeah, he's doing uh, a lot of research into uh, color technology. Long story short, I helped yep. him out, and but I looked at he had an image like a, a whatever you want to call it. What's deep resolution? Whatever that's called the 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 extra you know the the extra color. It's, it's like the wide color gamut. The wide color the- gamut. He had a photograph that that took advantage of it, and. I looked at it at the, on the iMac, and then I looked at it on the the iPad Pro, which is the I think the only device I have that has that. The nine point um, seven, yeah, yeah, and I could see the difference, but it but it was yeah. not a heartbreaking difference. It was a wow, Apple's really killing it with the uh, with these displays, but it did not break my heart that my iMac doesn't have it. Yeah, exactly. That's I think that's exactly right. If I were a photographer working in in that you know, color space uh, and being frustrated that my display couldn't right. properly 
display it, then I would I would jump on it. If, but it, if it was yeah. retina versus non-retina, then I would just pick Forget up it. this iMac and throw it in the garbage <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and head to the Apple store. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like uh, like Mac, uh, what is it, Mac Rumors saying don't buy an iMac. It's like, yeah, you know, you could buy an iMac. I suppose if you're reading Mac Rumors, you're savvy enough, yeah. but it's like you could buy, I, I think you could buy an iMac. If you need it. would it. be fine. If you need yeah. it. If you have yeah, the need, it, you should definitely do it. I would say. Yeah, because it, it'll get better in the fall, there's no doubt, but it's already pretty great. That's a yeah. That's a it's going to be fine but the mac pro no idea macbook pro same thing so i hope i guess that's what i'm saying is i hope that there's more behind this exciting macbook pro which is absolutely should be the number one thing on the on the list of of mark german reporting about it um but i hope behind that there are a a raft of even if it's just sort of speed bump announcements of all the rest of the mac line intriguingly not mentioned in german's report is anything about the displays including uh, pixel sizes and including um, like pixel count of the new iPhones, wow. and and whether they're going to get the wide color gamut and the uh, the room temperature the the temperature sense shifting. What are, what's oh, that, right. What do they call that feature? I don't have an iPad. Uh, True tone. True tone. Which I kind of here's I, even though German didn't mention it, I'm just going to guess that it does have True tone. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to guess that. Yeah. Because here's why I'm guessing that: a, it's their flagship device, and the best stuff usually comes to iPhone first. And if it doesn't come first, it's like off by six months, which would be exactly right with the True Tone. And when it was introduced, Schiller said, "Once you get used to it, you can't go back," <laughs> which makes me think that maybe Schiller yeah. already knew that he wouldn't have to worry about it, missing it on his iPhone. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think I think Apple is committed. Just just as it was obvious a few years ago that Apple was committed to bringing Retina to the entire product line, yeah. I think Apple is committed to bringing the wide color gamut and the True Tone stuff to certainly the iOS line and probably probably with the True Tone stuff even the Mac line at some point because I think they've decided that this just improves the user experience. That if you're in a place with yellowy light, then you ought to match the white point on your display. And you can turn it off. I and mean, people freak out sometimes. They're like, oh, you're messing with the, my colors. Like, well, you can turn it off. But right. a lot of people would prefer to have the the computer screen color match the light of the room color. And I think Apple thinks they've got a winner with it, that it's a kind of a crowd-pleasing feature. Um, and all it really takes, I mean, they, they've got the new screen technology, but they seem to have that down now. And you need uh, you need a light sensor that yeah. is more than just a, you know, a one-bit light sensor because you've got to detect the color temperature of the room. And that's yep. it. You're done. That's it. Yeah, and it's just another little chip in the pile of here's the year-over-year improvements. That exactly. you know are in the iPhone that you know everybody will, not everybody, but you know that the press at large will sigh and say that's it. <laughs> but sure. it's it's exactly the sort of feature that on a checklist of what's new in the new iPhones this year versus last year's models is easy to poo poo, but is just like once you know one iteration after another of all of a sudden you know. Two, three, four years down the road, you've got a device that absolutely blows away, you know, the the old iPhone. And if the average buying cycle on a phone is two years, and it probably still is, even though some people will upgrade every year and other people right. will wait, maybe now, especially now that there's the different financing options, they might wait two and a half, three years. Right. If two is the sweet spot, then you know Apple really only needs to make half the case for right. an upgrade every year right. because you know you're not upgrading from the six S, you're upgrading from the six, and now yep. you've got to add all the six S features and all of the whatever this new phone is features together when you make the case to yep. buy an upgrade. Totally agree. 
All right, let me take a break. Thank our third and final sponsor. This is a great new sponsor. I love this company's product, Eero, E-E-R-O. Uh, here's the, f- the whole company. Eero is founded on the idea that Wi-Fi is broken. Uh, and their analogy is imagine if like the electricity in your house was better in some spots than others. Like if you plug in your device, your phone to charge it in your living room, it, it's great. But if you plug in same plug, put it in your bedroom and it's like half the, half the speed, half the, half the charge. Electricity doesn't work like that, but that's exactly what Wi-Fi is like in the house. And it's fundamental that Wi-Fi, the signal of Wi-Fi does not go through walls easily. It's not meant to, it goes through the air. Uh, So if you live in a house or a home or an apartment that has walls and floors, like a lot of us do, uh, your Wi-Fi signal degrades. So Eero is a system uh, of little puck-shaped devices, sort of roughly the size of an Apple TV, except they're white. They look like an Apple device. They're very cute, little round squares, little pucks, very small, very nice. You just get a couple of them, and you, like their default is like a three-pack, and you strategically place them around the house. You only put one, plug one into your cable uh, or whatever it is that you, where your internet comes from, and then you use their app, and it's an iPhone app. It's a really nice app, and you configure the network, and then all of a sudden, they do all the hard stuff. You get like effectively like a professional uh, – uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it. Like, a, a, like a, if you had like IT experts, networking experts come into your house and set up like uh, a Wi-Fi system with a bunch of devices, that's what you get with Euro. except you don't have to be a networking expert. You just plug them in, put them around the house on different floors. Rough, they, their recommendation is one for every thousand square feet. Uh, a three pack's a good starting point. And you use the app to set it up. It's great. It is so easy. It is so easy. Uh, I... I 30-day money-back guarantee, you can't can't regret it. So if you set it up and it's not better, uh, you can always return it. And if you want to, you can even return one of them. Like if you get the three-pack or a four-pack and you end up or two, saturate your house with solid Wi-Fi, well, then send the other one back. That's great. Um, it really is a terrific product. If you don't believe me, search for the reviews. Walt Mossberg wrote a great review of it. Uh, really, that's the first place I heard of it, even before they sponsored it. It really just works. It, it it really is exactly what you think. Totally simple Wi-Fi system that saturates your whole house with really strong Wi-Fi uh, signal. So can't say enough good things about them. Go to uh, Eero.com and remember the code uh, the talk show, the talk show, use that code. And you know what you get with that? You get free overnight shipping. So go there, go to Eero, see it. When you order, use the code the talk show. And if you're listening right now, do it like right after the podcast ends, you'll have them tomorrow. They'll be there like free overnight and that's for free. So can't beat that. My thanks to them. I have them installed here. It is a great Wi-Fi network. Couldn't be easier. Couldn't be a better signal. Eero. Yep. Got them here too. They're great. It's, I, I that read went on long, but it's because I'm so enthusiastic about the yep. product. I, I yeah. cannot. I, I really rolled my eyes when they sponsored it first because I thought, well, I know they're going to want me to. St- I, if I'm going to talk about, it, I got to set it up. And I thought it was. I really, really thought, 
I don't want to spend an hour setting up a Wi-Fi thing in my house that I'm just going to have to disconnect a closet <laughs> yeah. when I'm done. It's, it seemed like way more, you know, it's being a podcast, it's easy to get lazy and think that that's hard work. But A, it didn't take an hour. It's like it, it took like 15 minutes. And uh, B, it's it was like better than my old uh, Wi-Fi. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah, I think there's a great benefit in designing a Wi-Fi system for multiple routers instead of just the single base station that most of them are are designed for and it and it shows with that product yeah yeah and in you know here in philly every you know everybody is townhouse so it's you know we have lots of floors it's not you know I, the floors are probably the bigger problem in my house than the walls because it's, we live on, right because you're vertical yeah right and it's and the cable is on it's not in the middle it's down below so. <laughs> yeah that's hard no it really is it's amazing um I've said it before. It's I know. It's, I guess the read continues to go on. But in our garage, we never got good Wi-Fi in the garage before we had the Eero, and it was a problem in the garage because it would often be like you'd want to you'd get in the car and you'd be like, oh, I wanted to down, you know, I wanted to open Overcast and download, you know, finish downloading podcasts. Uh, but with like a media, it was like a there's enough of a signal, easily enough of a signal that it wasn't going to LTE. It was right. still on Wi-Fi, but it was like when you see two bars on a Wi-Fi, that means like you, you know you're on like a 56k modem, <laughs> right? Like the if you don't have all the bars on the Wi-Fi, you're screwed. Yeah. Anyway, Eero. Uh, you want to talk about uh, Rick Tetzeli's Fast Company? piece or i guess there was a second piece too there was an interview with uh bazoma uh st john right that mark sullivan did but uh Rick yeah Rizzelli wrote the main piece yeah i listened to your show your upgrade with uh mike hurley and um uh, i thought it was interesting you guys both seemed a little non uh it's like the the casual the new meaning of nonplussed like not <laughs> that enthusiastic about it. i loved this story i really did and I thought you and Mike were surprisingly like, eh, I didn't really, I didn't really well, learn anything. To, to be fair, one of the things about that podcast is we recorded on Monday morning. And so like literally I woke up, saw that there was this story, read it, and then we did a podcast about it. So it was, I was it, surprised it, when I heard it. I was like, wait, I just read the story. I was ru- <laughs> I went for a run and I was listening to your show and I was like, how are they talking about this? And then I realized that the air date of the podcast was like, I, I literally must have downloaded it as I left the, the, yeah. the, the house. Yeah, the Wi-Fi radius kept you allowed you to download it. Um, yeah, I, I, part of it for me is that I see the artifice behind it, and I, it's just it's most people won't ever see that. But as somebody who has written and edited magazine features before, I I looked at this and I thought, okay. I can see why this thing is constructed the way it is. And also part of it is some of my own personal bias where I look at a story that begins with like a lengthy anecdote about the surroundings of Apple and um, and you know running into Eddie Q and describing what he's wearing and the temperature in Cupertino and all of that. And there are two ways to view that. And one is, this is a feature story. He's setting the scene. He's letting his readers get the sense of who these people are and what this place is like. Um, and that that is how it's intended. As, a, as an editor, I also look at that and think, um, you're, you know, you don't have... You don't have a lot of material to pack in here, so you have the you know you have the room to tell a story, and in fact, you kind of need to tell a, a, a weave a story here and some imagery uh, because the, you know that's that's part of what you've got is the access, and that maybe you don't have you know if you had Tim Cook saying something you know 
pretty profound and deep in terms of a pronouncement, you probably lead with that, but you don't. So you lead with the atmosphere. And it's like, I, I kind of get the artifice of that. And, and part of it is just, yeah, as somebody who's been to Apple and has talked to, and talked to a lot of these people, for me, I read that story thinking, what are they going to say that's new? And describing Cafe Max and the smell of the chicken masala doesn't do it for me. So part of it is that too. So I, I, like, I, I, see, I, I come like, with my biases. I that. liked that though. I really did. I did that a couple years ago. I think it was the time that you're talking about where Apple, Apple called us in for a briefing where they didn't tell us what the product was. And I had a briefing with Schiller in New York. And yeah. they said they, they made clear to me that the whole thing was on the record. I was like, all of it? I can That's just right. write about all of it. And so, and really, instead of writing about the, the version of macOS that they showed me, I wrote what it was like to have the product briefing with Schiller. <laughs> and Apple did not like that. I, I, was, I was then told that there was a, a quote unquote grouper clause added to future on the record <laughs> briefings where it's the what's being talked about the product is on the record, not the. Yeah, not, not the, the quotes itself. and don't. Yeah, I've gotten I've gotten read that riot act too. So thanks for that. Uh, but no, it's you know it's it's all about what you want to get out of it um, and how you. I think it's a fine story. I think it's got some good stuff in it. I think it's you know it's interesting that it was done a while ago because it, it it's clearly been held for a, a magazine deadline because yeah. they still apparently publish in print. Good for them. Um, and so it's like from when the Warriors lost right. the. NBA Finals, which right. is a while ago now, so it's not like it's it's kind of breaking news. But they did get access. Um, it's not, you know. Again, I read between the lines and think they didn't get a lot of time with Tim Cook and a lot of time with Eddie Q and Craig, Craig Federighi, but they got some. And it's a and it's a. I think it's a perfectly nice piece. I think the thing that impressed me most about it is that it cited all of the misconceptions about Apple without buying into them. Mm-hmm. And and that's hard for a magazine piece or really any piece to do, where usually you either see pieces that are denying the conception or you see them buying into it entirely. And this piece didn't didn't do that. This piece was like, this is how it's perceived, um, but there are lots of reasons why that may not actually be accurate. And I was impressed that he walked that line because nuance is really hard to do. And, and I, I think he did a good job with it. I think he really did a good job of painting a picture of what Apple in 2016 is, you know, and, and it's true. And it's an interesting amount of time, uh, post Steve jobs it, uh, am I off by mm-hmm. a year here? I'm pretty sure it's five years. I think it was 2011 where, where I think you're right, right around now in August, they, Steve announced that he was, uh, stepping aside as CEO to become chairman of the board. And then yep. it was October when 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 he died so five years is you know sort of a round number and it's an interesting period of time and it's been a very strong five years for apple you know they mentioned in the article that the head the company's employee count has doubled in that time um certainly their finances have you know for whatever how much hand-wringing you want to give over the year-over-year decreases in the last two quarters overall their those quarters are still above 2014 and you know it's just the abnormalness of 2015 with the abnormal success exactly. of the iPhone 6 um that you know and again not good but still overall the company is way bigger financially in profits and revenue and and you know number of just number of users than they were 5 years ago it's it truly is um a- apple the industry behemoth now they mm-hmm. are. I mean, there's no other way to avoid it. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot, like if big picture Apple stuff, you know, as a commentator and columnist, that I think in my heart, I liked Apple, the little company, better. You know, sure. It, it was more appealing to me personally. 
And oh, I mean, it's it's you're a Star Wars fan. It's like you're rooting for the Rebel Alliance when yeah. it's it's old Apple. And now I, I had this conversation with my friend Greg Noss, who knows everybody on the internet apparently, uh, who I went to college with, and he was saying, you know, it's kind of hard to root for Apple these days. This was a few years ago, but or or to even do something like read the Macalope because it was one thing when they were the underdog and they were the Rebel, but now they're kind of like the big guy, and it doesn't make me, you know. Uh, I don't know. There's just the tone is different. The feeling is different. And and you you're right. This article gets it. I mean, I think the maps anecdote was the most is the most illuminating mm-hmm. thing in it. And it's illuminating in so many different ways. Like they talk about they talk about the fact that they were kind of in a bubble where all the maps in California were good or in Cupertino or in the Bay Area were good, and so they didn't realize they had data problems and that they thought. It, thinking like old Apple, which was we have to do this with a very small team um, because we have to do it, and nobody's really disputing that they had to mm-hmm. do their own d- maps data. But they like they had this little team that did it, and they were kind of undersized and underpowered, and it was a disaster. And now they they said like it went from a couple dozen people or dozens of people to like more than a thousand people working on maps now. And and I thought I thought that's that's that moment where you realize the old playbook doesn't work for like you you have to do this thing. Right, this maps thing because it's it's key to your business and the future products that you do that you have your own your own source of map data. Okay, um, but you can't you know you can't do it in the old way, which is put a small team on it and have them kind of hack something together. You actually have to spend a huge amount of money and hire a whole bunch of people and and make it really good everywhere in the world. And that was I I mean I thought that was really interesting, not just because they say this is the reason why there are public betas now because they need to test it more broadly than their insular community, but also just because what it says about how they need to embrace the fact that they are playing on a much larger stage and the stakes are higher and they can't there's some stuff they can't do the old way just because that's not who they are anymore and that's not the game they're playing anymore Uh, a thousand employees i mean they don't say what they're doing like are 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 these people who are just driving cars driving cars yeah that's what that was my thought is is, is, it can't be engineers because there's a you know there's a, a too, you know, too many chefs spoil this soup. Aspect. Right, but you, you know, but there's all the there's all the data, and yeah. there's probably working with data sources, and there is driving the cars. I do wonder sometimes when they say Apple's employees have doubled, how much of that is retail and people like driving around right. cars? Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. And just manually going through the reports that people submit of right. these place places and maps, and just the grunt work of oh that's that's no longer a laundromat now that's that was raised and now it's a, a, a townhouse you know exactly um, it, but it, a thousand employees with an average salary of a hundred thousand dollars that's a hundred million dollars a year i mean mm-hmm. and even if it's lower than that as an average because some of them are are doing more menial tasks and they're not like engineers or something even if you have that to fifty thousand you know uh, that's still Fifty million dollars a year—that's a significant investment, and I think it's exactly an example. Again, one of my favorite parts of the story. Um, it, it is exactly the under Tim Cook, Apple is an industry behemoth that can do something like create a thousand-person mapping division, whereas the Apple of you know when when they unveiled the maps and Steve Jobs was the CEO was. I don't even know if they considered a big team. Like every every team at Apple is a small team. That's just that yeah. was the Apple way of doing things. Um, and, and I don't want it to come across that like oh Apple is spending money like a drunken sailor now because that's not the case. In fact, I know for a fact that Apple still. I think I think Tim Cook. This is one of the ways that where Tim Cook and and Steve Jobs really were similar um, in their in their disposition is that it hurts them 
to spend money and hire lots of people. Like they don't, they don't, they don't want to do it. Apple is not managed as as if they had more than a hundred billion dollars in the bank, even though they do. As if they weren't generating seven, eight, nine. Right. billion dollars in profit every single quarter, right? They're not managed like that. They Every hire is scrutinized. I th- every team, there's a always question like, does this team need to be any bigger? It's true. So that's why it makes this map thing such a big yeah. step for them to be like, you know, if we think this is what we need to do, or the car thing, potentially, if we're going to do it, we have to do it. And that means hiring lots of people and spending lots of money because we're not a small company anymore. We are a company that has huge revenues and huge profits. And if we want to, if we want to stay that way, we have to spend money. I think that institutionally, I know, I know from the various friends I have who worked there and acquaintances that the people at Apple, and this came from Steve Jobs and it's in one of those things that quote unquote is instilled in the company's DNA. They are deathly afraid of making bad hires. And, and oh yeah, not in terms of talent, although that's part of it, but in just in terms of whether people get the Apple way, and that yep. you know that that there's nothing that would sink the company faster than than you know polluting it with with bad hires, Bozo, uh, and, and bozos, <laughs> bozos. That's right, and, and the same um, uh, same goes for if you speed hire, if you hire a right. lot of people, if you staff up really quickly. The danger there is that some percentage of those people are going to be bozos, right. and and that's why Apple's teams have traditionally been so small. They are so careful about it. They are run. I think it's not, um, you know, Apple's near death experience. Um, and 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 the the discipline of the way the culture changed when Steve came back and they they got away from that near death experience. It informs the culture to this day. I think they have to fight when they do things like this. They have to fight against it because it is a different place that they're in now. But I see that you know my dad grew up in the depression and he lived his entire life being incredibly concerned about what money was being spent on what and all of that and and reusing things and fixing broken things that most people would just throw out because he had that experience in the Great Depression. And I feel like Apple has that in their culture too. Like we almost went out of business. And so we're going to be really careful about every dollar we spend, even though we've got a hundred billion in a mattress somewhere. I think that the debut of Apple Maps is one of the greatest stories that's really never been told. You know, from what I know, I know more than what was in the story. But it's it's like nobody really has it, and part of the reason nobody has it is that Scott Forstall has never broken his silence, even right. off the record. Like he stood to this date has never said a goddamn thing about <laughs> anything. He's other than that when he popped up when he was producing that play on Broadway, which had nothing right, exactly. to do with Apple. But he's never leaked a damn word, uh, you know, about his time at Apple. Uh, and my understanding, and again, this isn't what's not from a source that I could ever. I, I feel like I can podcast it, but I can't write it. But I spoke to someone at Apple, not high up. It was just this, this like run the mill person who worked at Apple, uh, but was in management, um, and said that the word on the street in 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 Apple was that he had a two year, um, you know, you you can't talk clause. So that gardening leave kind of yeah. thing where they're pay- they're paying yeah. him and he doesn't say anything and that's right. part of his severance or right whatever. that it was a very simple deal it was a, a dump truck full of cash and and you keep your mouth shut for two years and that was yeah. it but they, and even if that's off by a year or two it's expired i, I you know i mean it's possible know, it may, it, it's possible maybe keep your mouth shut about apple forever yeah, but you, but that you can the, talk about yeah, I don't know. That's unlikely, though. You know, I mean, it's it just seems like those packages are usually, and I think it's by choice. I think it just, you know, it's that's the you know, unsurprising that someone who is so successful 
under Steve Jobs for his entire career and within Apple uh, would it be of the nature to keep his mouth shut even afterwards, right? It's how do you how do you fill a company? You know how do you how does the company keep its mouth shut collectively by hiring people who keep their mouth shut? Right. So anyway, my impression my impression too is that is that Maps may have been the precipitating factor for him to be kicked out, but that that. You know, if this was yeah. the one mistake he had made, that he would still be there. That was not. This was the precipitation, yeah. not the, yeah. not the crime. But anyway, all no. of that is to say, though, that nobody could write the definitive thing on maps unless they could get get Forstall to open up, because otherwise, it's it's all one sided. You know, and there is a sort yeah. of throw Forstall under the bus nature to totally. it. But that is my understanding of actually what happened. The yeah. gist of it, like I don't even know how the part of it that doesn't get talked about is the whole negotiations with Google aspect, where their their agreement with Google to use Google Maps and iOS was running out and needed to be renewed, um, and so Google knew, and Google knew that uh, Apple wanted vector maps. Remember, at the time they only had the bitmap maps, so they wanted vector maps and they wanted turn by turn directions, uh, and Google was holding this over them in exchange for allowing Google to get more user identifiable data, like get people to sign into their Google account and then using the built-in maps in iOS, Google would have, you know, information about you, you know, all of your location searches and stuff like that, which Apple didn't want to give them. Um, And so Apple, because of this sort of knew that they had to switch to Apple maps ready as ready, you know, make it as good as it can, but we need to switch now because our contract is up and we're at an impasse with Google over getting an extension to use their stuff and to get the stuff that we need, like turn by turn and stuff like that. So it wasn't like Apple collectively thought Apple Maps was just fine. They knew that it was going to be a step backwards. Um, but I, from what I, I've heard this from multiple people, but that effectively, what what Eddie Q said is very true. That at a senior executive level, what they saw firsthand using the betas was pretty good. Yeah, it, it really is pretty good, and, and I know depending on where you are as a listener of the show, you really might not believe it, but really, right from the get go, in the Bay Area, it was pretty good. I mean, absolutely, you, you live there, right? I live there, and and people I, to this day, people be like, I can't believe you use Apple Maps. I'm like, well, I live, I live an hour from Apple. The maps here are pretty good. Right? I mean, right. it's, that was never a question. It's everywhere else in the world that it's a question. And you know, this is a. You know, obviously, this is a very complex story. But long story short, they what they saw firsthand with the betas was pretty good. Forstall to the, you know gave them an impression of how good they were worldwide, which was you know raise your hand up to here when in fact it was way lower. Like Forstall did, and again, this is not Forstall's side of the story. This is what I've heard, but that Forstall led them to believe that the rest of the data was better than it is. Not as good as Google, not as good as it needed to be, but that it was better than it would be, and that. What further infuriated the rest of the executive team was the amount of time that Forstall and his had his team spend on the fancy pants flyover stuff. Right? Remember when they first demoed Apple oh, Maps? Yeah. The most and Forstall did the demo, you know, and and as Apple does, you know, who you know, whoever worked on it and led it is the one who does the demo. It wasn't just like you're randomly assigned to do it. It's like Forstall had spent personally spent a lot of time overseeing Apple Maps, and he spent almost all of his time on stage demoing the fancy pants flyover stuff. Um, and that what I've heard is that the amount of time he spent in the demo on the fancy pants stuff was commensurate with the amount of time his engineering team had spent working on that, and there was you know. A, a, you know, anger that, hey, we wasted all this time on this flyover stuff and you, people, you know, can't even get a direction from their home to their office. It does, you know, people, people are being told to drive, you know, into a brick wall. 
Um, and then I have no idea. The other thing that, you know, it's widely reported. I can't verify it. I don't have first, you know, don't, I, unless you get Tim Cook or Forstall to go on the record, I don't know how you'd, how you'd get it on the record. But there's that whole story that about the apology letter that Tim Cook ended up signing himself. Um, and that supposedly either Forstall was supposed to sign it or he was supposed to co-sign it with Cook and refused. And if that's mm. true, I've always thought right. this. If assuming that that's true, that he was, you know, Cook wanted him to either sign it himself instead of him or co-sign it with him. And knowing Tim Cook, I wouldn't be surprised if it was co-signed because it doesn't seem he seems to me like I know the buck stops here. But when the CEO asks you to sign a letter apologizing for uh, 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 something, your only choices are to sign it or to quit. Yeah. Like the fact that Scott Forstall seemingly, you know, and I've also heard that he was taken by surprise by his eventual ouster later that year. Uh, and I've never heard anything to the contrary on that. I, it's shocking to me that he thought that he was like an indispensable man. You know, and I think, you know, his years, you know, working under Steve Jobs maybe misled him as to his political stature within the company. Because there's, I, I don't see how you, you know, when the CEO says sign an apology, <laughs> you, you can't say no and expect to keep your job. No, that, that seems pretty fundamental, right? That, that yeah. at that point, you need to own up to this. And, and even if it's just like, look, we need to make a message here. We need to, we need to explain to the customers that we hear them. And it's almost defiant of like, no, it's fine. Or, you know, denial or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, to be at that point, also you could, you could argue that maybe that is, that is uh, enough stuff had built up with him that maybe this was a like, look, you're going to do this. This is, this is your mess you're going to clean it yeah. up and if you refuse that it's like okay i guess there's no way forward from right. that there, there's that, that that's a symptom of a of a bigger problem right yeah. and that and the only way out apparently was to have him leave um anyway i thought so it was, it was about as interesting and on the record take of that as i've seen um yeah i i loved i loved just the line from q that um that uh it was good here and we lost perspective and that's one of the reasons we do public betas now is because we yeah. want more perspective and that's that was really that was really good um that was a, that was a that was a good thing to hear even though we all kind of expected that yeah <laughs> it was good it was good to hear that they they have you know they've they've learned it and internalized it and changed what they've done because of that lesson yeah. that they had to you know they got beat up for and overall i really think ted Zelly painted an accurate picture of apple as it currently is the big giant company that they've you know that their success inevitably led them to be and and you know why it means that they can't really be quote unquote doomed i agree it's a i think it's a good story um yeah my my quibbles about it are are yeah are are a lot of kind of just the art of it that i i feel like he he seems i don't know i'm not a big fan usually of the stories that take 500 words to paint a picture of the smell of the hmm. uh, of the of the food at the restaurant where the interview is being conducted i don't unless unless you're gay talise right and <laughs> mr sinatra has a cold um see that's what i, I like though. I, it's that's exactly that's that, that exactly is, what he's going right? for right yeah and it, it it is and and if you like that sort of thing then i think that that it'll work for you it was never my really my cup of tea but but the fact is that the 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 Apple executives he talked to were forthcoming about things in a way that is not something we see very often. Man, how about that picture of uh, of Federighi? Man, that is a meme. What a that handsome is a meme. son of a bitch! He, he's blue stealing it there. That is total. He's going to be uh, yeah, future as a male model. I have uh, I haven't seen any memes with it yet, but it's inevitable. 
Somebody sent me one, and 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 I think it was in the context of please make more memes with Craig Federighi's like eyes and what he's you know he's staring at you. He's got and he's got his hand out on the table with the wedding ring. So it's like sorry, yeah. ladies. <laughs> Any, I, the other thing about the story that impressed me uh, and I liked was that I really think it serves the. Per- I don't know how many people read Fast Company, but for somebody who's not as in tune to Apple as I try to be, and certainly as you try to be. As a more of a layperson and someone who might be prone to think like, hey, Apple's, you know, I keep hearing bad stuff about Apple. Maybe they're in trouble. I think it was a very good way of of saying, of, of putting their recent troubles in context of where the company really is. Yeah. That, that this is a very good company that continues to thrive that has suffered some recent hiccups, that it is not a company that is in turmoil. And if anything, they're more stable than ever. I agree. I mean, I could even argue that the that the the article gives too much voice to the, you know, the other side of these sort of by discussing some of these really dumb arguments about Apple, um <laughs> that, that they're giving it too much credence yeah. at some point. But I did appreciate that that he takes the time to bat them all bat them all down and say these are ridiculous arguments and yeah, yeah you might read about it at fortune but that doesn't mean that it's real and i think for a for a an audience a broader audience that that doesn't read the macalope or anything yeah. like that right they're they're gonna go uh come out away from this thinking oh i see now i understand more about what, what apple's trying to do and not that they're they're you know their sales are plummeting and yeah. it's a disaster and they're doomed and and uh, i i value that story for for doing it and being so nuanced about it uh, I know you got to go. I know that we've been going on a long time. Just uh, briefly, have you have you been watching any Olympics? Yeah, so, I've been I've been I've been trying to. I mean, you, how are you, you watching not, them? It, it's not humanly possible to watch the Olympics in all its places because there's like six thousand. It would take a human being who didn't sleep like eight months to watch all the Olympics stuff that's being made available on TV. And I've had the I've had the primetime NBC on. Um, in in the evening, we haven't been watching a lot of other TV. Instead, we've been you know kind of having that on while we're looking at stuff on the internet and and sort of tuning you know swimming and volleyball and whatever. And then I've done some stuff with the with the Apple TV streams and with uh, on, on my iPad too a little bit. Which is the great thing about having everything available on video on the iPad or the Apple TV or or on the web is you can pick a a sport. Like if you want to yeah, see yeah. table tennis or rugby or whatever, you know, they some of those may be on cable, but all of them have a feed on I, the internet. I just can't help but think the, the, the app is so bad. It, it's so the app is comically bad. bad that I really can't help but think that it was designed by people who really want you to watch on regular TV. <laughs> that, that's I, that's it, a pretty good thing. Given, given the fact that literally every item on the Apple TV says Olympic sports... <laughs> Like that's their <laughs> level one header of every single item is Olympic sports. So you've got like 20 items that just say Olympic sports I, instead of what the sport is. It's like what I don't even know what I is really going on can't. There. It's not a new feature. I really can't believe that the iPad app doesn't support split screen view. Or the picture in picture. Yeah, like, well, as a, I, I'm a, I, I watch soccer. I watch like English Premier League soccer, and they have all those games on there too. And it's, it, it's been like this. I think it's because they're doing a custom video player so that they can do their ad insertions, and uh, they want to stick a batter, a banner ad on the screen next to their video and stuff like that. So they're, they're basically motivated to not do picture in picture, and it drives me crazy because what I want to do is pop it in picture in picture and do other stuff on yes, my iPad, and ex- just, which is the whole point of the feature. And I, it was exactly I wanted to watch. The 
the U.S. men play Australia. It was a good basketball game yesterday. Yeah. And I thought, this is a perfect reason. I'm going to be the, the, like the kids today. I'm going to work on my iPad and this will be great. Except, <laughs> except it doesn't support any of those features. Nope. Oh, it makes me yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's, I, I, I think. You know they've come a long way from the you know from the pay per view triple cast and all of that and and I feel like Comcast actually now that they're running the show at NBC they're more they're more open like they're running I don't know if you noticed this they're actually running sports in primetime yeah. on cable channels which they used to not do like right. when it was on in primetime on NBC everything else went dark it's like right. everybody very quiet now we're gonna watch Bob <laughs> Costas and and they they're playing with that now and they've got this gold zone channel which is like the NFL red zone where you can theoretically just turn it on and it will just whip you around to all of the different venues and show you different stuff that's going on live which is a really cool idea so I feel like in the end maybe the Olympics is going to be best when it's completely non-linear yeah. and that all the only thing that we have that's linear is a best of the day recap which is the three hours in nbc primetime yeah. it, 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 i think that may be the ultimate destination of the olympics and it i think it was obvious that that was the ultimate destination maybe like 12 years ago but it it's taken till now for maybe for comcast and nbc to realize it's yeah. the obvious destination it, it it's just so frustrating because it's obviously not for a lack of money this is a multi-billion dollar mm. operation so it and and it just screams for it it is like in the old days before the internet it trying to cover all of these sports from all of these countries on a tv channel it was impossible whereas the internet, right. this is the perfect solution you can watch your favorite sport and you can see your country you know it, it it's so poorly done oh it makes me frustrated I feel like I, I'm actually a little optimistic now because I feel like they've got the pieces in place now and that maybe they even realize where they're where where they need to head, head yeah. ultimately. There are always going to be issues. People get frustrated by it. It's like they they spend billions of dollars for this. So they're going to be ads and yeah. they're going to have stuff that's behind, behind a cable login because it's Comcast. Right. They spend a lot of money. They're going to get their money back one way or another. They're going to get they're going to make their money back. But I feel like now they are headed in the right direction where this could actually be good maybe in two or four years where they like fully embrace the internet, especially if there's an Olympics. I don't know what the next Olympics is, but when, when there's one that's completely off time zones from yeah. the United States, yeah. I feel like I feel like then they're really going to be able to embrace it because they're going to have to because yeah. you know nobody's going nobody's to want to... The primetime stuff's going to be not live at all. Well, it's going back to China know. soon, so maybe then... Um. Anyway, I, I will say one good thing about being a Comcast customer, and I think it, I think this is what happened. When I did authenticate with the app um, for my cable subscription, I didn't have to sign in with a username or password. I think that Comcast somehow figured it out, you know, that I'm, you know, they could tell I'm on a Comcast network and they're yeah. like, good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, that was, that was good because sometimes the authentication thing is the, is the most broken. Yeah. Especially at high, at high times where everybody's trying to log in, yeah. those things tend to break. So I think, yeah, it looks and says, you're on a Comcast IP. Yeah. Good enough. Uh, hey, I want to say congratulations. You, your uh, Upgrade podcast, I've, the one I just mentioned listening to is episode 101. You guys hit 100 episodes on Upgrade, you and Mike Hurley. So that means two years you've been uh, going indie. And in binary, what is 101? Uh, it's five. It's five. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm really bad. I'm really bad. I, I could work it out, right? Like one and then one zero is, and I was like, oh yeah, that's five. Okay, got it. But no, thank you. Um, yeah, it's coming up. You do a podcast every every week, and it, it totals up to it's almost the reason I know that September 9th is when they did the event, uh, not just last year but the year before, is because that was basically my last day at MacWorld. Was, yeah, was September yep. 9th. Yeah, 
of uh, of fourteen. So it's been almost almost two years now of of doing this, which is it's been great. Like you know, I I, I think I've said this before, but y- you are obviously an inspiration for me to go out and, and try to do this on my own. And I ha- I've got you know I've got two kids that are going to be headed off to college in the next few years, and I'm, I'm, I live in the Bay Area, which is a very expensive place to live, and my wife doesn't have a full time job, and it was very stressful. But we have managed to make it work uh, for two years. And my wife was just saying to me the other day. Um, you know, I, I was very much in the, let's give it six months mode. She said (laughs) when we started this and now she's kind of out of that mode and like, it's working, which is great. And you know, you never know what's going to happen. And and you, you know, better than anyone, you got to watch everything and keep in mind, like, what if this happens and what if that happens? But it's been great that I've been able to actually live my life and do stuff that I love, which I kind of wasn't doing at the end at my old job. I know that feeling. Um, yeah, you got it. You know, I, I, when I went full time on Daring Fireball, I, I don't even think I was doing a podcast yet. And if, if I was, those, like the whole first run of the show with Dan Benjamin, we didn't, we never had a single sponsor. We did, we sure kind of put some feelers out and people were like, podcast. So we just <laughs> say, well, let's, we'll just do it for fun. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, literally, uh, I guess we lost money on this show because, you know, we, you know, whatever we paid for web hosting and, and I think like Amazon storage, you know, right. I never, when I went full-time on Daring Fireball, the idea that I'd be uh, 50% of my income would be from podcasting wasn't even, I didn't even think it was possible. I didn't even think I was good at it. (laughs) I'm not sure I am, but. It's, it's well nobody knows what makes a good podcast. Even now they don't, but you're right. right. I, I didn't even, I mean, even two years ago, I didn't I, when I left all of my calculations were can I can I do a site that became six colors and right. can I do freelance writing and can I make that work right. Uh, even then, and maybe a little from the incomparable, right. but even then, I wasn't really counting on what if I did some other podcasts yeah. with Relay and throw those into the pot. And now, yeah, it, it, it's it's a I don't know if it's fifty fifty, but it's certainly a, a huge part. If I stopped podcasting, um, I would not be able to speak with as much confidence about yeah. making it work as I can because I'm also doing podcasting. Yeah, uh, my thanks also. So my thanks to you. Uh, upgrade you. people can just uh, just google for upgrade, upgrade yeah, relay.fm relay.fm and you'll find it there and there's a whole bunch of other podcasts and of course you've got like 30 podcasts at the in- incomparable and yeah there's a lot of them i'm not on most of them thankfully but yes there are a lot of them there and you know home base let's face it i don't care how much time we spend podcasting we're writers and yep. you do your writing primarily and if you don't if you do it elsewhere you always link it up at uh, six colors uh Dot net, dot com dot com dot dot, dot something dot, yeah dot com. and you can spell colors however you want yeah you can put the u in there it redirects <laughs> uh, my thanks also to our three sponsors today Eero great Wi-Fi go there and get your Wi-Fi fixed in your house Fracture get your pictures paint printed directly on glass and Global Delight who has the new Boom iOS app that you can download for free just go get it and try it for free thank you Jason thanks John it's always a pleasure.